Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the stacks. This is Jay. That thing upstairs isn't Shanna. <laughs> I'm going to talk in the exploitation trailer voice the entire episode. No, I'm not going to do that. That would be terrible. <laughs> and I'm not going to talk like Chris McNeil the entire episode because it's probably ideal. Nobody wants that. Jackie O. <laughs> Chris McNeil, Jackie O. A uh, lot of thoughts on The Exorcist, of course. But first, we're talking about the 2001 Takashi Miike film, Ichi the Killer. I guess probably this is maybe his most famous movie. It's definitely oh, up really? there. This is one of his like major, major ones. Okay. Yeah, I actually can't think of anywhere that I've heard of an actual specific Takeshi Miike film other than our group. Like right. nowhere outside of here. I feel like that was it, it was a big breakthrough one. It's an image I've seen a lot. Uh, I, I, it would either be this or Audition. Those two are, you know, th they're the definitive films of the Japan extreme era of like the late 90s, early aughts, where, you know, we had all the, I, I think it was literally called Japan Extreme from uh, Tartan, the, the Tartan DVD label really brought a lot of this stuff over. It kind of reminds me, yeah, of, of a lot of stuff that was around at that era, which might be part of this ex this yeah. label even like ninja scroll uh this reminds Probably. me a lot of that i i like ninja scroll being actually animation i think it may have been a different one but i, I sure saw a lot of ninja scroll around this time i mean that aired almost on a daily basis on teletoon back in the day <laughs> yeah yeah it did and if that wasn't enough we had the vhs oh cool <laughs> i never owned it i I, it was just so easy to see. <laughs> it was everywhere. But they all do have sort of a similar vibe. They all clearly come out of the edgy 90s manga, just as uh, some of the 90s cinema in the US had that kind of... I mean, edginess was just a big 90s thing. There, there was a whole edgy wave uh, oh, it was it was huge. <laughs> it was everywhere. It was it was in The Simpsons. Oh, completely in The Simpsons. I feel like all of it does sort of emanate out of comic book culture, and it's just weird that the U.S. took so long to get to comic book movies as this or text the the major form, where obviously Japan got to it a lot sooner, and they were going with the edgy stuff through the nineties. Mm hmm. Because this one obviously is based on a manga. It's oh. so based on a manga. Much like <laughs> a previous Mike we talked about, Transformers. And also um, the great Yokai War, the villain yeah. that was oh, a yeah. manga villain, wasn't he? He was, yeah. Like a, a modern manga villain and then put him with a bunch of classic folk horror characters. Mm -hmm. So I, also this is called a crime horror, like explicitly in we, we have there's the preview text about the restoration. They describe it as the 2001 crime horror, Ichi the Killer. I'm like, oh, crime horror. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, the, the actual crime part isn't very realistic. Like we're not dealing with uh, battles without honor or humanity here. Although it's weird, there is kind of a flavor of that. I, I do feel like there's some of that, certainly in the film's DNA, in the 
maneuverings of the Yakuza stuff. It's just so much more of it is the horror because it's uh, serial killer versus the Yakuza. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Or, w- but the Yakuza also has their own serial killers for uh, at yeah. least one. Well, it, it, he's a BDSM guy. I mean, he does do killing, but I think he's much more into torture. Uh, by the way, gruesome film. This is easily oh. the goriest thing I've watched this month. <laughs> wow, this this is gory. Uh, the crime scenes that we see are like people are slipping on and falling on entrails. It's kind of it's hilarious how gory this movie <laughs> is. Sometimes it's so unbelievably grotesque. But yeah, I've watched sixty one horror movies in the month of October up to this point. And oh uh, this is the grossest one by far. <laughs> so gory. Uh, and obviously it's very low budget, low fives shot on 16 millimeter, you know, not on like a, a major film format. This is an independent film, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So <laughs> uh, Regarding the gore and all, well, not not just gore. Uh, we also have just nastiness. Other fluids. Yeah, there's. <laughs> it's it's a it's a very fluidy movie. Not quite to the extent of a Bertrand Mandico, but you know, it's got a lot of. Uh, I mean, as we alluded to last week, the the title card does rise out of a pool of cum. But uh, prior to that showing up, we've got. The editing is is the most erratic and the most hyperactive right at the start, where we've got all those weird sort of burn frames. Yeah, I thought I kind of had the impression that the whole movie was going to be doing that from time to time, and it doesn't really. Yeah, I mean, you get tiny little bit of it again in the final scene, like in the last showdown, but you pretty much don't do it again after this first part. And it's weird. It's it's very stylized. It's like it sort of burns into something more looking like, and like all the color drains out. It's it's like uh, it turns into um, a manga panel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's the the credits very <laughs> very action style. They appear on a spinning bicycle chain, and it takes. <laughs> I didn't even realize it until the second time, but uh, Ichi's just getting around town on a bicycle most of the time you just don't really it's not really a major thing oh yeah i guess uh i guess he would have to i mean i i don't think they'd give this guy a car i would say it's unlikely that this guy knows how to drive i would say he could i would say he couldn't pass a test if he tried probably not and it wouldn't be it would be the sort of pressure situation that would be dangerous to have him in so I'm just, ima- <laughs> I'm just imagining Ichi like, at the, the DMV. aftermath of I- at the DMV. <laughs> Ichi the killer too, Ichi at the DMV. Uh, I'd watch it. <laughs> they skipped my number. I took a ticket and I was number 69 and they skipped my number. <laughs> I mean, you know he's number one. He's oh, Ichi. of course, right. He is one. He's Ichi, but that but they always skip number one right uh so we we get a bunch of our characters right at the start we've got takeshi who's the little kid who it starts with him phoning his dad uh kaneko who 
<laughs> he lost his gun as a police he officer. I don't know gun. if you've heard this. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry. You know, if if we do forget, people will remind us yeah. literally every time this guy's on screen. Every single time he meets someone, they repeat this fact to him. And he's like, yeah, 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 that's me. That is me. Aren't you the cop who lost his gun? I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. That's, that's still me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the children bullying his kid like yeah. your dad is a cop who lost his yeah. gun yeah that, it's how his kid is bullied uh and he is kind of never really there for the kid even though this kid is super devoted to him yeah he's th- th- this guy's also not he wasn't a very good cop he's also not really a very good yak as it looks no. like He's kind of shitty at everything. Uh, mm. And it's it's fun because he's sort of set up as more sympathetic than the others. He has a kid. Uh, there's this point where he feels bad for Ichi, not realizing who he is at the time, and helps him out when he's being bullied as an adult because that's just how his life rolls. And I think he just sees a lot of himself in Ichi, which should... Uh, suggest to us that he is not a good guy at all. It, it should. Because he sucks. And <laughs> he he, he turns sucks, out to be uh, really bad. Well, it's based on a 90s, uh, one of them extreme yeah. violent animes, so there are no good people. Nobody has redeeming factors. No, there are no redeeming characteristics in any character, not even the bullied kid, because he just sucks. <laughs> He's bad, too. <laughs> They're all bad. I don't know. I think the bullied kid maybe isn't as bad as Kakihara. No, he, not yet. He's still <laughs> not a kid. Yet. Not yet. <laughs> He's Good got point. years to go. Good point. Good point. So one of the things, like it, this, this movie, it's it's so brutal. It it kind of hits you in the face right away with it. You have this one pimp who's beating up one of his ladies. This. Uh, and is, everything with these oh. two characters is just rough. Yeah, uh, I, it, it's just really uncomfortable seeing this on the screen. And uh, it's the opening so credits. The shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're seeing during the opening credits. This is how we're introduced to the film. There's this guy just brutally beating and raping this woman. And Ichi is outside watching. And uh, he's not helping <laughs> certainly no no attempt to help uh he is masturbating into a potted plant <laughs> and that pool of cum in the potted plant is where we get our title yeah although i love that in the midst of it you know before we cut before he's spotted or I, it, maybe it's the moment that the guy realizes that someone's watching them being a peeping tom which is Ichi, that we get our first shot of Shinya Tsukamoto in in his role as Jijiji. I don't understand this character at all. Like <laughs> he's fascinating. He's a big mystery. Like the reveal at the end made me laugh so hard. Nothing about this guy makes sense. And the more I find out, the less makes sense. Like, what is his motivation in the whole movie? I don't know. He's just the criminal masterbind. He's the real main bad guy. He, <laughs> but what's he trying to do, though? Just take them all down and get all the I, money for himself. I don't I know. guess. <laughs> like, I, I don't. It seems like there must be some sort of long, long past wrong 
that he will never let go of, right? That that makes sense. I could see it being that. Because he's an older guy. He clearly has some kind of past with them. And uh, he's just been training for years and he's been preparing. He's got this disciple who he's trained very, very hard uh, and brainwashed and hypnotized and all of that. Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, brainwash. Uh, there's there's yeah. all sorts of brainwashing going on in this. Oh, yeah. Um, at least at least one person has had their brain just completely fucked. Possibly. I, I think two of them. But I Maybe mean, two. Everybody's minds it. Like, they're also prone to it. Like, Kakahara would have gladly been brainwashed, too. Oh, sure. I mean, who knows? Maybe he was, and maybe that's why he ended up the way he did yeah i don't know he has a weird relationship with his boss who will never see the boss <laughs> yep so uh I, what i love the the first shot of sukamoto he's just in the middle of a busy street but he is standing still he's holding an umbrella and his eyes are shifting back and forth <laughs> shifty <laughs> eyes and <laughs> And then that's when uh, it, it cuts back to Ichi being found out and the pimp chasing him off and uh, the cum in the potted plant and the title of the movie literally rises out of it. It's very gross. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yep. So uh, we go to some thugs who are in a car, his cleanup crew. Uh, one of them is long. The pimp. Oh, okay, so long, long the Chinese was part of the pimp. cleanup crew. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's closely related to them. Uh, he phones up Miu Miu, his girl. Right. And he tells her that Ichi is taking care of things. Oh, yeah. I think this is like the first time we get the question that we get asked a lot. What kind of person is Ichi? Yeah, what's his deal? And he's like, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> you don't want to run into him. Like they go into the place and it's gross. <laughs> <laughs> like guts. hilariously gross. <laughs> it's just like blood and guts on every surface. Just everybody has been blenderized. <laughs> <laughs> they have to do like that special walk that you do when you're on ice so you don't fall because the floor is so slippery with guts and blood. Yeah, and they and get they get a phone call, and there's just crying on the other line, like, oh, shit, let's get out of here. Because <laughs> they know the crying is the trigger. Like, the, the crying is when the killing's about to happen again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, the, the apartment is just completely drenched, uh, and then we get to go see Kakahara, who's kind of the main character. He's the guy on the poster. Yeah, the, yeah. the guy on the poster is not Ichi the killer, although he looks like he could be. Yeah, he seems like he, he would be a guy named the killer. Uh, he's, he's got loads of scars. He has uh, his mouth, is like his cheeks are slit all the way back to the ends of the mouth, but they're just held together with some rings. And he like, in this first scene, he's blowing smoke out of the cheeks, which is so gross. Yeah, yeah, just to show that it's not just Joker scars. Yeah, they're not scars, that they're actual holes. Yeah, this uh, will come up later. Oh, the grossest thing in the movie, uh, personally. <laughs> I think so, yes. Oh, man. So their boss is missing. We 
basically already know that the boss definitely has to be dead because we saw the cleanup crew going in there and we saw the guts and everything. Yeah, it takes a long time before they come to terms with the fact that he's not alive. It's weird. Uh, Kakahara is dead certain that he's alive. Like, he has this feeling. It's like, no, no, he can't be dead. I'm sure of it. I would feel it if he died. Yeah. And there's those other guys who definitely feel it when they're... <laughs> oh, yeah, right. The cops. <laughs> oh, right, there's psychic twins with special powers in this, too. Psychic twin cops with special powers. Yeah, those are the most bizarre characters in a movie that is packed to the prim with bizarre characters. They're the most anime, I think. Yeah, I mean, especially Saburo. <laughs> the dog guy. The dog guy. <laughs> so both uh, the, the boss and three million yen are missing. So pretty big problem. Oh, oh, of course. Yeah, that'll be that'll be Gigi's thing right and the thing is they uh because everything has been cleaned up they're sort of thinking maybe he ran away with it and there was also like a 17 year old girl who was there so they're thinking he just ran off with this chick i think it's amazing that they managed to clean it up so well that nobody that they actually think that he ran away nobody thinks anything even happened here and just overnight i mean i they've been doing it they, yeah, they must like really have see, it down to a science at this point. Yeah, you see like a brief, tiny montage kind of thing, like just the the room and then like white sheets and then Kakihara and the gang in the room that looks untouched. Right. And it seems impossible because like if this was on any cloth, you would need to get a new one. Like if there's a cloth couch. It's gone. You, you need another one. It's going to be filled with blood, like blood down to the the, the padding. The bed, the bed sheets, those yeah. all got to be thrown out, yeah. replaced. Man, how many trips did he take to the 24-hour bed bath and beyond, I wonder? I, yeah, and it, this is 2001. This is Japan. I, I'd like, do they even have stuff that's open all night for that kind of thing? You know, an all-night furniture store? I don't know. Japan, Maybe you know, I bet... I wouldn't be surprised. Yes. I would think it would. I I think now you'd find it. Then, I don't know. This is like 22 years ago. That's hard to say. It's Mm. hard to say. I don't know enough about Japan in the 2000s. Yeah. I know one of the things is extremely cash oriented. Like you can't use a credit card most places. Right. That's true. So. Kakehara is like, you know, there's no way the boss ran off. I know him too well. I think it has to be some rival gang who's taken him. Gotta be. I mean, we're Yakuza. Rival gangs is the first thing you naturally think of. Right. Yeah. So we we check in with Sukamoto, who is uh, in this apartment with Ichi, who is just catatonic playing, (laughs) I think it's Virtua Fighter. Yeah, it's like Virtua Fighter. He's like in a blanket. <laughs> he looks like like he looks like me when I was a teenager. He he's a hikikomori. Yeah, he's just like doing nothing. He he is immobile. Like his his thumb is the only thing moving on his entire body. Uh, and Sukumoto just looks in and I'm like, all right, you know that's par for the course. <laughs> and then we we are introduced to Karen who completely sucks. Karen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
she might be worse than her namesake yeah uh not not uh just really putting extra dirt on the name uh she's giving this anecdote about how she had this dog that she really loved as a kid and her neighbor always made fun of it because it was a mud and he had a purebred dog so she killed and poisoned the dog like the neighbor's mm-hmm. dog like great <laughs> good introduction and she's like yeah and, and it's she's at like like one of those hostess clubs trying to seduce a client with that she's like yeah i killed the dog yeah and he's like yeah great no this isn't working for me uh and then she goes to she's she runs into kakihara uh and he tells her how the boss is missing and right, she's like she is he's got to be dead <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i guess she's the boss's girl or everyone's girl or one, I, one of those kind of things i really can't figure out what her deal is because there's that part where she's trying to be kakihara's girl and she just she sort of fails the audition and then it's like mm-hmm. when she when she ends up with ichi it's like she's trying to do the same thing but go harder with it and be even <laughs> tougher and it just backfires on her not well her thing with ichi is so stupid to begin it is, with it is unsurprising <laughs> you know you you see the train coming and you wonder how she does not <laughs> i can't wait till we get to that <laughs> so uh we we have the exchange with her and she's like the boss definitely must be dead i think she knows sukumoto and is able to like travel between these groups i don't know at this point maybe not but she definitely knows how to get a hold of sukumoto because she's just at his place later yeah she like hangs out with him so she's uh, playing I, both sides yeah i i it, i kind of feel like it was at that point, I think, when I was like, so is Sukumoto just in charge of every faction? I think somehow? he is. <laughs> well, it's almost like a Yojimbo thing. It's just where, where someone's behind the scenes and pulling the strings behind a gang war. It's just he's using a serial killer to do it rather than actively engaging in any of it himself until the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Kakahara sees Sukumoto at uh at this club and he's like I'll pay for any information you might have oh god right <laughs> and, and here here we still think Sukumoto's just like this kind of silly old informant man we don't realize how how into everything he is yeah he's just some guy everybody sort of he he's this hanger on in the scene and everyone's aware of him but he literally doesn't have a name ggg seems to just mean uh in in the credits they have it tra- or in the the subtitles they have it translated as old fart so it's mm-hmm. it's kind of just a term of yeah hey old guy no one actually knows who he is but <laughs> he's ominous like we did have that shot of him with the shifty eyes so we know to be suspicious of the dude oh yeah i mean well the guy just reeks of suspicion he just <laughs> yeah. doesn't reek of confidence this yeah. is the thing yeah Sukumoto is very good at being an ominous figure someone's like this guy's not on the level mm-hmm. uh so he comes to the office of uh the anjo group and he he says well it was definitely the funakis uh you know they've been staking out the building everybody knows about it 
uh, you know, it was for money. And it's like, well, who's the main guy? And like, well, it would be Suzuki. And it's like, go get a hold of Suzuki. <laughs> oh, right. Suzuki. And there is a pre-existing beef with Suzuki because he was cut out of the video porn racket uh, because that's sort of their most, uh, it, it comes up later. They mentioned that it's like their primary source of income. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh yeah, you're still butthurt about that. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. They're, they're like, it, this is probably why Suzuki did it. So Kakar is like, Takayama, you go get Suzuki. Mm-hmm. And it's also a thing where, by the way, Suzuki, he's been spreading these rumors that uh, Kakehara and Anjo are lovers. And Kakehara makes no comment on that. Because <laughs> they <laughs> sort of are. They kind of are. I, in a, I, I in think. a sense. Yeah, they're, he's into being beat up by him. Uh, the boss really likes beating people and Kakehara really likes being beaten. But he also so, likes causing know. pain. So, you know, he 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 is a switch. He'll he'll go either way. <laughs> yeah, but but you better be able to do pain on him, otherwise oh, yeah. he needs otherwise it. you're useless. It's his favorite thing. Uh, he he he's in a world of pain and he loves it. That's that's a Mandy quote. Uh so uh the 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 bikers, and he would have just jammed with those bikers. Oh man, he would have been like they would have they would have been impressed with him, I think. Yeah, that's a Bill Duke's line when he's talking to Red when he goes to get the crossbow back. It's like, when I saw those things, they were in a world of hurt. Fucked up thing about it was they loved it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, he could roll with them. Oh, he would just totally fit in. So mm-hmm. uh, Kakara's like, eh, you know, if we're wrong, we'll just give uh, Gigi's dead body to the Fanakis. And it's like, well, it was his idea. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, my God, this scene is so gross. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> he sends a gun guy or no gun guy. Takayama. It's like, yeah, go get some sh- go get some tempura. Oh, yeah. No, no. Uh, or oh, Kaneko. Kaneko. Not, Kaneko not that's Takayama. it. Yeah. yeah. Uh yeah, he he starts making some tempura shrimp. And he, they've got him hung up on a bunch of hooks through his flesh. Oh, this is like yeah. Already brutal. So crazy. <laughs> and he's just like making his tempura and I'm like you know that's going to be a this problem. is going to go. Yeah. And he's he's got the tempura. He says very patiently they're they're interrogating him. They're asking him about Anjo and he's like I literally don't know anything. I have no idea what you're talking about. And He's lying. It comes yeah, out much I later. Thought... He actually is in league with Tsukamoto on this. I thought for sure, because this is that type of movie, that this guy would be innocent. Yeah. You know, innocent of that one thing. Right. But no, he actually does turn out much, much later to be in on all of this. Uh... <laughs> Since Tsukamoto just turned him in at the beginning. Yeah, I don't think he realized what was going to happen to him over it, but he, he's <laughs> planning on getting the money from it. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah they they have him hung on all these hooks, which is already really gross. And then, Ugh. of course, he pours the fucking boiling tempura oil all over him, Ugh. which is so intense. Like, the, the effects for this are very impressive. Mm-hmm. It, it looks excruciatingly real. 
Oh my god. This this might have been the hardest one to watch, I think. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, this one was definitely really intense and gross and it goes on a while like they're definitely putting it up front to really show you it's like get prepared this is going to be a gross movie because it Mm. never stops being gross (laughs) (laughs) no we're not done we're we're just starting yeah so uh, he puts a needle through his cheeks the needles are one of his big things oh his fucking needles and i Suzuki stands firm. He does not know anything about Anjo, what happened to him. It's like, look, I, I admit it. I have been ripping you guys off with the porn videos. I've been doing my own side business of that, but I, I did nothing to do with Anjo. Yeah. And, and they're like, well, where did you get the idea? It was me. And they're like, oh, it was him. <laughs> yeah. They, they just- turn like, he, he's there's just like a Sukamoto shaped uh, swirl of dust, right? Yeah, <laughs> he's just he did the Batman just disappearing in the middle of a conversation. So good. I, I that's not quite yet because that's when the guys show up. That's when uh, oh the the rest of uh, uh, the Funakis turn up and they're like, oh right, where did you even get the idea that it was us? And I'm like, oh, it was that guy. Shit. <laughs> but <laughs> but one of the things that we find first is that. Uh, Gigi has two dudes who have a surveillance cam built in here and they're watching all of this. Oh, yeah. I think that's long and I guess the TV guy. <laughs> the TV guy who's who's <laughs> like a former member of the Anjo group who's had plastic surgery to look different. Uh, <laughs> I love the comment. And you made yourself look like that? Yeah. Why'd you choose that face? Very good. <laughs> uh and yeah, the, the Funakis turn up at the place and they have the thing where it's like, oh, it was him. And he's just gone. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, who's that old guy? I'm like, what old guy? I'm like, I don't know his name. <laughs> just some dude. <laughs> I, although I think at this point, Sukamoto's character would be so famous, you could just say the old guy, and everyone would be like, oh. It's weird, yeah, because everybody sort of knows who he is, and everybody's like, oh, it's that old guy, but nobody knows his name, and nobody knows where to get a hold of him. It's just like, I mean, there's this guy that's always hanging around. <laughs> yeah, he just seems like one of those guys who he'll find you when you need him. Yeah, which is not good. Uh, mm-hmm. He'll find you when he needs you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we see that woman who is really badly beaten in the opening sequence. I think her name's Sailor. Oh yeah, the uh, the sex worker. Yeah, uh, and she's at work, and she's badly beaten. Like her face is all swollen up from the beating from the opening scene. Uh, yeah, and Ichi's there to get a blowy. <laughs> yeah and she's like you're the only one who's happy to see me looking like this yeah and she realizes that he's really fucked up but she also kind of senses that maybe he can take care of the problem for her she just doesn't realize how how far gone he is how how big of a problem he is i mean he'll take care of the problem sure but yeah <laughs> sure she says that she wants her pimp to die and she's like oh I can totally take care of that for you. That would be great. And he like gets her to gets her to blow him. <laughs> and then we get 
Funaki and Kakahara meeting up to take to like deal uh, on this is like, okay, you really messed up one of my guys on potentially spurious info. You got to make amends and cutting off a pinky's not going to cut it. <laughs> well, Kakihara is like, that's okay. Hold my beer. I got something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, another extremely gross scene very realistic he, actually yeah this is the one i couldn't even really watch i had ooh. to look away at this one he he uh pulls he he grabs the the tongue ring the on the tip of his tongue and he pulls out his tongue and he slices through it with the sword very yep. just like the we see the whole thing i don't know how they did it it looks very yeah. impressive it's horrifying yeah, he's like, we watch him like sawing through it. It's not like one clean cut. No, and we, we see all the bosses just being, oh, God, no. As as we, the audience, we're like, oh, stop it. <laughs> and he tosses it to this one guy. <laughs> and then he's like, well, that's what we have Well, it's funny. He he just sort of, he, he spits some stuff out and then he like gets on his phone and he calls up Karen. I'm like, all right, I just needed to do this thing. I'm not worried about this. It'll grow back. the human body regenerates and it's like that's not true i don't think that's great (laughs) although maybe that's his anime power i guess so uh and maybe he he specifies that he's doing that because he really likes sweets so he's cutting off the tip of his tongue which is where uh you most taste sweetness Mm -hmm. which (laughs) you know yeah yeah so <laughs> it's fucking crazy oh just totally nuts and uh, the, they're like oh gross and he he walks up and they're like great i've got this thing it's, it's wonderful so karen <laughs> is called and was like well i heard about this really fancy place to get heroin <laughs> good line <laughs> i just love this conversation between them because yeah kakihara is just like oh yeah cut off my tongue no big deal and karen's just like whatever here's some gossip about my girlfriends i know this and yeah this exact really (laughs) fancy place for heroin really fancy place for heroin is such a fucking funny line uh it's a high-rise apartment no less (laughs) yeah uh they it's a high-rise apartment there's this old lady who has sort of a heroin crash pad uh and they're searching for uh the they're searching for long at this point because i think long was with ggg at the club when they picked him up in the first place i think so because it's usually long that they're looking for Mm -hmm. because they they yeah each person has like a or each faction has like a different uh hated rival who's connected to ggg i think i think the other guys are like I think Karen is there long. Yeah, it kind of seems like that, uh, or, or something like that. It's the, the, yeah, their their loyalty Gigi's is very unclear. Group is yeah, Gigi's group is very complicated or unclear. Yes, that's well, and the word. you're right. He has sort of a, a Joker like plot where he is destroying them. You know, there there's like a failsafe in place to take each of them out as he goes, to leave him as the only one with money at the end. Uh, so yeah, they go up to this place and uh, he interrogates this old lady. He breaks all her fingers, which is pretty gross. Although I can do oh, that yeah, with my fingers. Just... My fingers go oh. back like that. 
Mine don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't think hers do, but they do now. <laughs> now they do. Uh, <laughs> this is when they, they find the heroin guy <laughs> in the TV. Oh, so this is the TV guy. So this is, I think, Kano. Yes, Kano. Uh, who is also one of GG's. He's one of the cleaners. Right. He was one of the two cleaners. He was the guy who installed the surveillance system. He was with the he was originally with the Andre group and he was kicked out. So he installed the surveillance system just before they kicked him out. And yeah, the, we have seen him in between those sequences, just having a huge freak out and destroying the hotel room where the surveillance system is because he doesn't <laughs> have any heroin. Right, right. Because every time we see him, he's trying he's either shooting up or complaining about how he can't shoot up. Yeah, it's his entire deal, that and being formally with them. And the best part, he's he's stuffed into a TV. Like, there, there's, he, he's like, you know, his, his head between his knees, and he's uh, in the husk of a television set. And they're like, he was like that when we got here. <laughs> yeah it wasn't the yakuza who did it to him he just did that <laughs> he was just in there it was like all right we'll just tie him up so he stays in there <laughs> uh and they the money's there like uh, a yep. bunch of the money is there with blood on it so and, and kakara tastes and's like yeah it's definitely the boss's blood <laughs> <laughs> And they find all the surveillance equipment and they talk to him and it's like, oh shit, it's Kano? Dude, I can't believe it. That's crazy. And Kano's like, look, I know your deal, Kakahara. I'm familiar with your work. Just kill me. I'm not going to tell you anything. And I just, just get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> no, is this where we cut to like the TV in a junkyard? It should, we, we see it later. Uh, it's okay. just on the side of the street. Uh, but he, he does say like, look, it was Ichi. There's this guy, Ichi. He was the one who did it. He killed the boss. Uh, uh, also he's going to come for you next Kakahara. You're on his hit list. And he's also like, everybody knows about you and Anjo and how much you love to be beaten by him and all of that. Like it's, it's out. Everybody knows. Yeah. Okay. So let's just put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> So we see Suzuki getting uh, in he's in I think he's in hospital. He's all wrapped up in bandages. He receives the tongue. <laughs> yeah, that, it took me a bit to realize who this guy was. I'm like, who's this mummy guy? Oh, <laughs> probably tempura man. Yeah, he, he got fried up uh, and he he takes the tongue out of the jar and he squishes it in his fist angrily <laughs> and he's he's like doing a tough speech to himself about how he's going to get revenge and then uh two more of Kijiji's guys show up in masks with like toys hanging all over them <laughs> the outfits of like the badass characters in this are just ridiculous <laughs> they, they've got like those creepy clear masks that just sort of have sort of a different face over your face and they're in camo army gear but they have like they're like the, the sort of charms you you would have on a phone just tons of them all over their heads weird bit <laughs> yeah and they're like man i can't see these masks get all fogged up man i don't know i, I want to take it off so i can see what i'm doing right and the guy's like well you should have made it better 
<laughs> but they they come in. They have swords. They they're gonna behead Suzuki, and they're looking for the girl who was with Anjo. And it's like I literally know nothing. This is the second time now. Please understand. <laughs> And we're gonna kill your whole family. I'm like, I I don't even know what to tell you. I'll tell you anything, but I don't know a thing. <laughs> Which is funny because he he's denying it because we still haven't found out yet that he does like, know. He, he does kind of know. I don't know how much he sort knows, of how. but he knows well, stuff. He like he knows he's he is working with uh Tsukamoto for sure. Yeah, he, he went to him and he's like, Hey, I need you to kill these guys for whatever reason and then they get a phone call that apparently kakahara was seen attacking this office or whatever it says like oh i guess it was kakahara it's like i told you all along it was him (laughs) because they they say like some dude with fucked up face with all these scars and like it was kakahara obviously (laughs) no it's the other fucked up face dude yeah (laughs) who could they mean (laughs) in this movie so we got back to Ichi watching the pimp beat the beat Sailor again. Uh, and uh, again, he waits until uh, I, I don't know if he's even waiting for him to start because he seems to just be pretty content to sit back and watch until he gets spotted again. Yeah, the pimp's like, all right, get in here. Yeah, he he gets hauled in and he just starts yelling at him and dressing him down and he just stands there crying and saying I'm sorry for a while. This is this is like our first time we really get a good look at Ichi. Yeah. And his outfit, he's got like this bargain basement football pad kind of outfit with an LED one on the back. Right. And it's it's sort of uh it, it looks like it's sort of a skydiving outfit or something, but it yeah. is a blade suit. It has blades all over the place in it. <laughs> yep. A a and... blender suit, I could say. <laughs> and he's uh, particularly fond of the ones that come out of his heels. Yeah. Well, he... Fond of. I don't think he seems to be aware that they come out until after it happens. It's weird. Like, they're his weapon, but it is pure instinct. He's clearly been heavily trained for exclusively this purpose. That's kind of the only thing that exists for him is killing. I think that Tsukamoto has, or Jijiji, has just been training him as a weapon. And that that's all he is anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, he, he does the... He does the high kick thing where he brings it up and he slices all the way down the guy and he just cuts him in half uh, down the middle. <laughs> I, I love the like exaggerated long bit of him just standing there before he. Well, just... it's, it's funny. He even stumbles back and says something. He's like, oh, and then he <laughs> he falls in two, which is so good. Like a banana peel. <laughs> <laughs> and Sailor is like frightened obviously yeah but uh, she's like hey, oh you saved me like you said you would and he's like yeah no don't worry uh i'm i'm not gonna kill you i'm just gonna beat you like him he's like <laughs> yeah oh, i'll good. be the one to do it yeah. and she's like what what oh and then she's like oh good because she just saw him cut a guy in half so it's like uh, oh, okay yeah that's that's fine and <laughs> she grabs a bat and tries to hit him and he uh, slices her throat with the the thing reflexively. Yeah, 
yeah, definitely not on purpose because, you know, he's freaking out about it again. Yeah, I mean, it's it's semi on purpose, semi not. It, it's clearly what he wants to do. It's just it's he has put up this wall to pretend he's a good guy. Uh, there There's a flaw in his training that needs to be resolved later. Yeah, yeah, because uh, his whole thing is he he needs to get revenge on all the bullies who beat him up. Yeah. And anyone else who is a bully. Yeah, or anybody who, who stood by and watched bullies be bullies, any of that stuff. Yeah, or anyone, you know, who kind of tangentially a little bit happens to look sort of like someone who might be from his high school. Yeah, well, the people who bullied him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, he fucking slices her throat, her just huge fucking crazy arterial spray, and she falls over. Oh my god, so much blood. This is such an insanely bloody movie. The arterial spray in this movie, I, I, it is a Mike thing. That is just yeah. his trademark. You get a lot of that in like Sukiyaki Western Django, too. It's definitely in the Dead or Alive movies. <laughs> that one incredible one at the start. Oh God, with the oh with the noodles. Yeah, the noodles <laughs> get, get shot and just the noodles go through. Incredible movie. So it's after this that we see Kano or Kano uh, in the TV, just in the street, on a, just like a rubbish tip. There's a whole bunch of discarded stuff in the street and people walking around, and he has. So many hooks in his head. <laughs> yep. Uh, and yeah, we, you see a pedestrian going by and ta- doing a double take and like, wait, is there a fucking dead body there? <laughs> uh, so Kakahara is expelled from the syndicate uh, for all the shit that's going down. It's like, okay, we're kicking you out. We're done with this. And he's super chill about it. <laughs> I love it. After he leaves, they're like, oh, wow, that went really well. I thought he was going to go nuts and kill us all. Like the main boss is just uh, uh, teleconferencing in on a tablet and because <laughs> they're really worried about how he's going to take it. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. And he leaves. And then moments later, he he like comes back in and it was like, oh, Jesus, God, it's going to happen now. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm he's taking like- over Andrew, by the way. <laughs> And then he leaves again. I, and uh, they have uh, a really funny visual bit is the boss on the tablet. They have him peeking out on the tablet from behind someone's back. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Good bit. That's real fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the like, hospitalized boss. <laughs> I wish oh, we saw right. more of him. He's yeah, fun. he's pretty funny. So this is that great scene where Kakara tells all his guys, like, we're all out, but it's it's us, Andrew Group, we're going to stick together. And if anyone wants to leave, now's the time. You do this oh, bit. Oh, and... sir, well. Yeah, it's like, well. <laughs> I'd like to go. Yeah, uh, here, I'm going to give you uh, the ceremonial sake cup back and, you know, we'll we'll call it all square. <laughs> and he, he does not realize the situation he's in. And obviously Kakara <laughs> puts a needle through his foot into some... Uh, loose wood that is just on his foot for the rest of the movie (laughs) and they're doing like the big like shoulder to shoulder walk down the street as this guy's limping next to kakahara (laughs) this piece of wood stuck in his foot yeah very good (laughs) Uh, so suzuki calls jijiji and long 
to let them know what's going on. It's like, oh shit, he's been with them all this time. <laughs> he, he's been denying it so adamantly under so like all this torture and everything. And no, no, he is he's, really dedicated. He's, he's I guess. actually been with them because they, they mentioned the deal that they have. Uh, and there's like, okay, we're going to attack Yakuza mansion, which seems to be a place. Yakuza mansion. <laughs> Where do you think the Yakuza are hiding out? Well, probably Yakuza, Yakuza mansion. mansion. It's seems like the most likely place. And like, okay, four days it's going down huge massacre. Just have the right people in there. <laughs> Why won't the judge issue you a warrant for Yakuza mansion? It's called Yakuza mansion. <laughs> well, that's the oh, because. The the legality of the yakuza is very peculiar, though. There, as, as we've seen, in well, it the, is. Uh, yeah, it really is. Yeah. Uh, so Gigi <laughs> goes to see Ichi, and this is where we finally have their discussion about Miss Tachibana and his childhood trauma, quote unquote. So his story, or at least the story that we're being told in this scene, is that as a kid, uh, he was being bullied. Blah blah blah. And then a Miss Tachibana went to rescue him, save him for the bullies, and for her trouble, she got raped. And right. He just watched and let it happen. He watched and let it happen, and it not so secretly he wanted to participate. Yeah, he he wanted to do the raping. Yeah, I mean he and and during the course of this discussion, it comes out and he says, Well, she wanted it to be me. And that that's what it really is. Uh yeah. and Gigi's like, okay, this this plot isn't working. I'm gonna have to recalibrate <laughs> this thing. Some we we've gone off on a whole. I I I tried to make this guy have a heroic motivation. It's clearly not working. <laughs> <laughs> now now I've got this weird bladed rapist that I got to deal with. Yeah, I got to figure out how to target him better. This isn't quite right. <laughs> so, uh. Uh, Kakahara goes to this one club owner. I think it's where Karen works because she he's he's trying to pull the guy's face off. <laughs> and Karen's oh, like, "Hey, yeah, can I right. join? I want to try." Yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, like, like doing the granny thing of pinching his cheeks <laughs> until the guy's face like starts coming apart. They're they're pulling them way off, and he's going, "Ah, stop it! This hurts <laughs> so much." Karen is shrieking with laughter. She's got like two feet on the side of his head, and is just like, and with just... her like really long nails, just gouging oh. into his cheeks. <laughs> and it's it's funny. There's sort of like it's like it's almost like. A meet cute. I mean, obviously they know each other from previous <laughs> places, but you see Kakahara and Karen like recognizing this love of violence between each other, and they're kind of like, oh, let's be a couple. They're bonding over <laughs> this. <laughs> and then they do, they give it a shot. Yeah, yeah let's try it out. Maybe we'll 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 see how we like being beaten by each other. So there's this bit where Ichi happens upon some kids who are bullying Takeshi, which is Kaneko's kid, the, the cop who lost his gun. This is the cop who them, lost his gun. Them bullying him over the cop losing his gun. <laughs> ha ha, your dad lost his gun. You know, taxpayers have to, they are, uh, the, the money for those guns come from taxpayers. So, you know, it, it's a very high level bullying. It's like you are, your dad is a drain of the, the, the system. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, 
my dad said that your dad went to the gun store and then he lost all the guns and they had to close the gun <laughs> store because there were no guns. Yeah. And there's there's a bit where they like they throw the kids' shoes and he goes to retrieve them and Ichi Ichi's he's clearly kinda... he he's still feels bullied, so he sees these bullies and he kind of turns away and he's not gonna involve himself. He's yeah, he's he, that <laughs> that very much don't notice me, don't acknowledge me pose. Please yeah. don't turn your attention towards me. And uh, Takeshi comes up to him and he's like not willing to respond or anything. But then the the lead bully kid keeps coming up and he sees this as an adult who is bullyable and he tries yeah. to start and he gets fucking roundhouse kicked. <laughs> <laughs> he goes flying. The sound the bully makes lying on the ground, it's softly crying, is so perfect. It's so, <laughs> so ideally done. I really love it. Just. <laughs> for the rest of the scene you just hear in the background <laughs> so good so Ichi just hops on his bike and, and rides off so we, we have a connection now between Takeshi and Ichi which is very bad <laughs> don't want that oh so then you have Kakahara and Karen having a love scene. <laughs> yeah, he's like chained himself up, like kind of hanging from the ceiling, dangling, sort of. She's beating the shit out of him, and he's like, man. You're not doing it hard enough. I'm not enough. into this. This isn't, you, you can't do it anywhere near as the boss could. I mean, he really knew how to hurt me. You're just, you, you're, your heart's not in it. <laughs> He's like trying to give her like tips too, like no focus on how much you enjoy causing the play the pain. Don't focus on my pain. Yeah. Let me worry about that. That's that's my issue. You just focus on being brutal, and she she can't get it. It's like no, this isn't working. You're not tough enough. You you can't be, uh, you can't replace the boss. Yeah, maybe so, you know what? Maybe that is why she went her game plan with Ichi. Maybe she I do thought, think so. Yeah. She just didn't realize she's on what... the rebound in a really yeah. weird sort of way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Ichi receives his assignment to kill all of the Yakuza's and we get all of the coded language and like, oh, these are all bullies. They're just as bad as the bullies you had. And hey, don't they kind of resemble your bullies? Doesn't this guy look just like maybe if this one bully had grown up, he look kind of like him. And and wouldn't that be if uh, Billy Mahoney sliced his face open? He'd look an awful lot like that guy. <laughs> right. So he runs into Yakuza Mansion, openly weeping, <laughs> just crying. <laughs> and it's it's a great moment because we don't see anything. We just see him run in the door, weeping, and then <laughs> fountain of blood, torrents, just blood, flying pieces of guts. <laughs> Oh yeah, flying out the door, <laughs> and an entire face. <laughs> oh right, it just like sticks to the wall. <laughs> <laughs> One guy's whole face just sliced off. It like hits the wall and slow. <laughs> slowly slides down, leaving the trail of blood behind it. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> uh, and then he comes out. And he phones Gigi. He's like, I don't want to kill anymore. It's not nice. 
And this is the flaw. This is like, okay, I need to correct this. He, we yeah. don't want him to want it to be nice because he doesn't. It's not really part of him. We're we're gonna no. we're gonna cure him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, we want him to want to kill so that you know it's not a big issue every time he has to go do it. Yeah. So he runs into Takeshi, who's just outside, because you know this is this is Yaku's mansion. It's where they all live. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, Takeshi's oh, like, yeah, thank you for lived. helping me. Thanks for saving me from the bullies. And Ichi, obviously, he doesn't know how to react. Yeah, because, you know, he just, yeah. <laughs> so Kakahara comes back and he sees this massacre. It's just absolutely disgusting. Everybody's dead. Uh, and mm-hmm. pretty much all of the other guys run off. There's only two guys left. We've got Takayama and K- uh, Kaneko. Right. Uh, and Kakara is like, well, better call the police. I'm like, really? <laughs> You're <laughs> like, going to yeah. call the cops? Like, we need help with this. I'm calling cops for help. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then uh, Kaneko talks to his kid, Takeshi, and Takeshi's like, I'm not going to go live with mom if you die. I won't. <laughs> I promise I won't. Which I, we get a flashback later where we see that the him originally making this promise that he would stay with his dad always, mm-hmm. which isn't a good promise to make. <laughs> this, no, his dad's a bad guy, <laughs> uh, bad and incompetent. Yeah, uh, bad combination. I mean, sort of. In, in some ways, it's it's good. Uh, <laughs> Sometimes it can work out to your favor. Yeah, so it's after this conversation that Kaneko happens to just run into Ichi getting thrown out of a brothel because he threw up on one of the page, uh, one of the ladies. <laughs> oh yeah. Also, he and... had no money. <laughs> right. That that whole thing. He came in, he threw up on a girl, and then they found out he was broke. <laughs> so they they have him yeah. like in the street and they're kicking him and he's just crying like a baby because that's what he does and he doesn't have the suit to protect him now. Yeah, so Kaneko's like, hey, what are you doing? Don't you think that's enough? Right, and he he flashes back to something very, very similar happening to him. Oh, yeah, because it was like Anjo, I guess, who saved him. Right, which is why he really wants to get... It's why he's stuck around and why he feels he has to get a revenge for the death of Anjo, because... This exact thing happened to him. I, I presumably after the uh, the losing of the gun, someone was beating presumably. him up, and uh, Andrew's like, "Come on, man, I'll I'll buy you lunch. We'll talk a bit, and we'll we'll see where you're at." And like, "Hey, I I heard you're pretty good. You know, we could use a guy." <laughs> so I love the way he like drives off this uh, brothel worker. The guy's like, oh, yeah, what family are you from? He's like, Anjo Group. <laughs> and the guy just does like the, that like fast walk away. Like, oh, like no, oh. nothing to see here. Oh, yeah, you're in with that Kekahara guy? All right, I'm good. See you later. You can have this guy. <laughs> just whatever. Doesn't say anything. <laughs> he just quickly walks away. Yeah, it's like, okay, don't want to be involved. So he tries to do the same thing that Anjo did for him. He takes him to a noodle shop. He buys him some lunch. Ichi is just catatonic. He he's not yeah. able to speak to this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and meanwhile, Kakahara is called Jiro and Saburo, 
these twin brother cops in these matching totally ragged jean jackets. <laughs> they look like like they look like worn bathrobes. Like yeah, uh, very like what worn. they like what they give you uh, at one of the bad insane insane asylums, like where <laughs> yeah. Jack Nicholson had to go to. Right. Uh, in in one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not 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 where actual Jack Nicholson. <laughs> he hasn't been committed yet that I know of. Not that I'm aware of. Uh, so he sends them to find Long. He's like a Chinese pimp. That should be pretty easy to find. And <laughs> Long is looking for Miu Miu. He's like phoned her up, and he's left his apartment, so he's temporarily out. Yeah. And then we have Jijiji and Karen playing mahjong so again it's clear that she isn't completely with kakahara and she knows how to get a hold of jijiji and stuff because she's just hanging with him in his apartment yeah it feels like this is a (laughs) pre-established friendship or relationship they've got going on not like i'm going to see this old man for whatever reason although it seems clear that she hasn't met ichi before because she's asking all these questions about him and what he's like what kind of guy is Ichi? Right. And she's he he tells her about this bullying thing and how it's really become a problem because he implanted this memory through hypnosis and made that as the way he is reason he goes after people, but he built in this whole rape story. And I've realized now that he's actually really into it, that that story turns him on. So it's really not working out. And really, he was just some dude who killed his parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's never just bullied. Found this guy, no, found this guy, hypnotized him, trained him, cr- invented a backstory for him. Yeah, and, and he's just, just telling Karen all this shit, right? And Karen's like, "Huh, I'm, am I under hypnosis?" And we just don't see him respond to it. Maybe oh, yeah, she is. We see, we see her flashing back to being to being raped. Hmm. So I don't know. I I kind of think maybe she was, maybe that's part of it as well that she is under hypnosis, and maybe that's why she's not revealing Jijiji to Kakahara at any point. That could that, be sort of built be. in. Could be. So Jiro and Saburo uh, happen to have gotten a hold of Miu 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 Long's girl. Oh God! This yeah. is this scene is very very brutal. Them torturing her. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they slice off her nipples, Ugh. quite quite extreme, uh-huh. uh, with a razor blade, and then, uh, then Saburo, it's like, well, this isn't working. She's really tough. She won't give up. So Saburo puts on <laughs> his dog ears. He puts on these like little dog ears. It's time for Saburo Sleuth to step up. <laughs> he he starts sniffing her crotch. Yeah, he gets really up close and he's sniffing with the dog ears like, I can find him. Uh, I'm going to track him by scent. And they they leave. And on the way out, Kaneko's about to go with him. He's like, where do you think you're going? (laughs) You think you can hang with us? No. Get get back in there. Screw you. You're not coming with us. Although there's also that moment before when he's introducing Jiro and Saburo to him, and they recognize him, of course, because everybody always does. Yeah, you're <laughs> the guy who lost his gun. And he's like, yeah, that's funny. He's like, that's so funny. And you're a gunman now? Really? <laughs> really? Really? 
really he just sits there and he says really to him like 10 times and just like in the same tone over and over again like this is what his life is like <laughs> really well, what other options does this man have though he, he really doesn't public service but you know we we have maybe a little bit of sympathy for him up to this point and then he just loses it obviously he's been put upon by this all this time but yeah he goes in and he kills Mew Mew yeah he's not like quickly either he's beating the shit out of her the guy's like the other guy's like dude yeah chill are you even doing this what's your problem he he's like stomping her to death because she he like asks her if she's okay and asks if she wants some water and she's just delirious she's been brutally beaten and he snaps and he just starts beating her and yeah he beats her to death yeah it's a it's nasty uh Mm. again extremely nasty movie yeah yeah. all the characters are super nasty yeah nobody's nobody's good so there's the bit where long is in his apartment and he there's police sirens and he sees the silhouette of the dog ears (laughs) in the window and he hears like a man going (laughs) (laughs) it's making the noises (laughs) he he opens the window and the guy jumps in and you know they they all pile in on him he runs and he gets away and then he just happens to see kakahara who's just watering plants in an alley (laughs) (laughs) kakahara goes up to him is like hey fancy meeting you here and he takes the rings off uh that holds his face together (laughs) Yep, so Long goes and just is like, all right, I'm going to punch you. Well, he had punched him a couple times already because he's yeah. mad at him about getting Mew Mew. He's going to get revenge. And then, yeah, he takes the rings off and he fucking punches and it just goes down his throat. And oh, my God, this for me is the grossest moment. This shot, man. Yeah, he looks like an alien in this shot. He looks like. Um, he looks like like something from Spawn because his face can just kind of open all the way up. His jaw can just totally detach, and yeah, his his arm goes in and he just bites down, and Long's hand comes out, and just almost all of the flesh is just torn off it. So gross. Yep, that's the only time we see him do his alien mouth thing. I thought we'd see it in the final fight, but we don't. Well, there's not much of a final fight. There's no final fight. Which I love, but it's a good get there. Yeah, that that's a good bit. So, uh, uh, they they take him back to the place. Karen obviously intentionally <laughs> hits Ichi with a car, uh, and it's it's her way of getting his attention. She <laughs> pretends to be Tachibana. Yep, <laughs> and it's like, oh, you know what? All this time, I was really hoping it would be you, Ichi. Well, she said, I wanted you to rape me as well. And it's like, it's not really that I wanted you to do it. It's that I wanted everyone to do it. Mm. Like, I wanted it to be everyone. Then she has this fantasy about being cut up. uh, And he gets really, really excited. And you're already seeing, like, as soon as she starts saying this, like, this is not a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very bad. Oh my god. So I bet she is hypnotized because she's doing this fantasy to try to get him more like 
spurned on by the slicing than the raping, I guess. Yeah. Maybe? Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because that, that's what that's he does. That's the only way her actions make sense in this scene. Yeah. Although it's also the thing that she had oh. this thing with Taka the or Takahara and that uh, she want she is kind of into this kink. It's just she doesn't realize how far he's into the kink. I think yeah. I don't think she knows about the blade suit and him chopping people to bits. <laughs> I yeah, don't know no, that I she's aware she of wouldn't. that. He he never <laughs> mentioned that part. Uh, but yes, the obvious happens, and he cuts her into bits. <laughs> Yep. Uh, she gets flashed up, and there's that whole part where she realizes all of a sudden that he's coming for her and like, oh, wait a second. Uh, actually, I'm not Tachibana. Uh, stop. This is this is a whole this is just a <laughs> an acting thing. I was just trying to. Well, if I try to explain yeah, what I was trying to do, yeah, there's no way she can explain it. She's like, no, no, there's this is all a misunderstanding, and then she gets cut to bits. Yeah. So we we get. Long being tortured with needles through the face. It's also pretty brutal. This one, we don't see it happen. We just see a bunch of quick cuts to more needles being in his face. Mm. <laughs> uh, and they're threatening to cut his dick off with scissors. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, just waiting for that to happen. Yeah. And, like for it to be on screen. And I'm like, it seems like a movie right, that I would show that. Turn it <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't actually do it. Yeah. Uh, but Gigi phones them up to taunt them. He's like, <laughs> "Death's coming for you. Uh, you you think <laughs> uh, you're coming for me, but nope it's uh it's coming back on you real quick." And Ichi phones up Gigi. He's totally emotionally resolved now. It's like I'm ready for assignments. Who do you got for me? <laughs> <laughs> but. It, Gigi is like just wandering around taking the call and Takayama spots him because he's in the same building they all live there <laughs> yeah they all live in the same building he's like across the balcony he's yeah, he's just across the courtyard he's like this fucking Gigi hey <laughs> he like ducks behind the railing <laughs> for a second and then he like looks back up and like fuck I'm caught and he like starts running downstairs and Takayama gives chase <laughs> And then it's the funniest reveal in the movie. This killed me. I laughed so hard at this when I this was great. <laughs> Gigi gets all the way to the bottom and he's like, I'm not even gonna waste Ichi's time with you. And he starts <laughs> undressing and he's swole as hell. He's so buff. He's got this like tiny ass speedo. He's like flexing so hard. They they built a CGI muscle body to put fucking <laughs> Tsukamoto's head on. It is so funny. And he just twists uh he, he twists Takayama's head off. <laughs> just like twists it all around. And then there's like we cut back up to them and they hear this huge at the door <laughs> because as uh Gigi has thrown the body against the wall and left it just a huge red mark on the wall <laughs> right across from the uh uh from the peephole. So they're like, what the hell? And they open it up and find the body and it's just all just destroyed. Like it's it's been rolled. <laughs> and Jiro is like extremely impressed. It's like, wow, how do you pull an arm off like that? Can a human being do that? I got to try that. 
<laughs> oh, right. <laughs> so he starts like trying to pull Long's arm off. Because Long's, you know, uh, all tied up in the chair. He can't really resist. He yeah. sort of succeeds. He does pull a big chunk of his arm off. it's very gross (laughs) Uh, Uh, i mean it's suggested that jiro has super strength uh and that's the power that he has in uh where whereas saburo obviously has the dog powers Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and of course they both have a psychic link because they can actually tell when one dies right uh, there's this really good bit where Ichi gets all of the envelopes for his assignments and he's going through the six different people and there's two identical images for the twins. <laughs> right. They're the exact same two, like two envelopes with the exact same contents. That was really funny. <laughs> yeah, like they use the same photo. <laughs> and so Jijiji phones up Ichi again and he's like, oh, by the way, Kaneko, he's actually your older brother. The guy who uh, took you to soup, it's your older brother. So next time you see him, go say hi. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Ichi enters the apartment just as Jiro pulls the arm off. <laughs> 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 or no, he, he ent- uh, like, it's for Ichi enters the apartment, not, not yeah. uh, uh, Kakara. Uh, Ichi, he enters the apartment as the arm is ripping off. And then we cut to Saburo and Kakihara elsewhere. And it's like, oh, uh, Jiro just died. He's like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I, I sensed it. I, it was the same as when our older brother Ichiro died. It was just like it. I'm sure of it. It's like, huh. <laughs> and it's there's no like dismay or anything. He's like, oh, hang on. He just died. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah no, like... no, I know how it feels. It's definitely a thing. <laughs> It's like, we better get back to the apartment and they, they run back. It's like, like all the, uh, with all the, um, all the gravitas of, oh, my team just lost the game. Yeah. It's like, ah, shit. Uh, they, they go back and Saburo finds Jiro's body on the ground and he, he checks it and, uh, Ichi like come drips first to, uh, reveal his presence. And then he like. <laughs> It's like he drops from the ceiling and beheads uh, Saburo. The head just goes rolling. Oh, right. That was like a whole thing for a bit in the middle of the movie. Uh, Gigi was upset because Ichi couldn't ejaculate and this was a problem for some reason. But now he can again. Right. He can. Uh, it's uh, he. He's well, like we said, he's emotionally resolved now that yeah. he uh, well. <laughs> cut Karen to bits as Tachibana. For now. For now. So everybody heads for the roof. It's like, okay, roof battle. Let's do this thing. And I, uh, we get the expected Kakahara and Ichi facing off. And Kakahara is just, he's so excited. He's loving it. Uh, we get it in slow motion. He's got this cool color changing shirt. It's like changing with the light as he moves. He's got his needles out. It's like, oh, this is what yeah. he's been waiting for. Yeah, this is like this whole thing. It's like, man, somebody who can hurt me like the boss did, used to. He's so thrilled. And like, uh, obviously, uh, Ichi is just completely emotionally invested. And he's he keeps coming at him and he, he gets like they, they're in the very corner and the the blade is stopped on the gate above him. And he's like, holy shit. It's like, wow, you're so scary. He's turned on. <laughs> he's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you're so scary. <laughs> 
And it's like, wow, you keep coming at me. And he's very excited. And then Kaneko shows up and pulls a gun and just everything falls apart. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And she's like, brother, why would you do this? And he he just won't stop crying. (laughs) And like, that's basically the rest of the movie now. He just, he's crying and pleading with him. He's like, why <laughs> and kakahara he's so deflated and he's still holding his his needles and like i don't understand what's going on here and he like walks up to him kaneko ultimately gets too startled and he shoots him in the knee uh and of course ichi automatically reacts and does a roundhouse kick and slashes his throat right and this this sets him like completely off. Yeah, he's killed his brother and his brother has betrayed him. And Takashi or Takeshi is there, the kid. He happens to be like he sees it happen. Oh. <laughs> and like Kekahara keeps trying to like, come on, get get up, fight. What are you kidding me? This is what's going on? Fight, you jerk. Oh it's like, man. What- and the longer it goes on, because like he's just wailing and crying like a he's, toddler the whole time. It's it's exactly like the bully that he kicked. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, uh. And like for a good like five minutes, he's like, "Come on, man, get up!" And Takashi or Takeshi is just kicking him. Oh yeah, Takeshi's <laughs> kicking him now. <laughs> And he's just like, <laughs> so to Ke- Kekahara, he's so disappointed. He's like, no one kills me, huh? Man. <laughs> he, he takes his needles and he just puts them in his ears to stop the crying sound. <laughs> he just stabs his foot. He, he pierces his eardrums and it's, it's weird. It's sort of a fantasy moment. The color changes the crying stops he's like okay this is what i want no crying and we get a what is definitely a fantasy sequence it's a vision of the we didn't hear it because the sound cuts out but ichi has stopped crying and he's beheaded takashi he's mm. like holding his severed head he drops it and he comes running at uh, ichi and he does like one kick that slices open his forehead yeah. Oh, right. So he's got like a like a big slash or gash in his forehead. Yeah, right down the middle of the forehead, and then he kicks yeah. him, and he goes off the roof. And falling is wow. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yay! And he falls, and he's dead. And we we get uh, Sukumoto or Jijiji coming down, and he inspects the body, and there's no cut in the head. Uh, obviously he just jumped. He's just like, he's yep. done with all this. And we, we cut back up and Ichi is still just crying and being kicked. <laughs> still happening. <laughs> it doesn't stop getting funnier. <laughs> so good. Uh, and then we just have one last shot. Uh, it's, it's, I guess, sort of a, a jump forward in time. It looks like uh Ichi has come back and he has killed like he seems to have hung Jijiji from a tree and we see him walking away in a group of kids like a group of like kindergartners or something yeah so okay that's 
that's the thing I didn't understand. I thought Jijiji had hung himself. And so that's what got me thinking. Like, if he was going to hang himself at the end, what was the point of any of this? I don't... It makes more sense if... Oh, okay. No, you know, it's not... It's not Ichi. It's Takeshi. Oh, so he's grown up. Yeah, it's it's uh, so it's many years later, but it it is I guess Takeshi finally having taken revenge. Oh, okay. I would assume that J- that Ichi is just done, just totally catatonic <laughs> now. He's been destroyed <laughs> by this. Yeah, oh well, yeah, I mean, you can't use him for anything anymore. <laughs> Fucked up the uh the hypnosis too bad. Yeah. Uh, so He's yeah, probably still crying. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a very ambiguous ending in a few different ways, but you can sort of suss out and like, okay, I guess eventually, you know, somewhere down the line, that uh, Takeshi goes back and gets revenge. But for now, everybody's just like everybody lost. Takeshi or uh, Jijiji got away with it for some time. Hmm. Yeah. So that was. That's Ichi the Killer. That is the end of Ichi the Killer. Uh, what an incredibly violent and disgusting film. What a ride. Um, yeah, just don't, as long as you don't try to suss out the actual Yakuza plot, because it's it's very bare bones. Yeah, I mean, It's but, more about these guys wanting to fight. It's Yeah, it's, it is about the gore. It is a, it is a crime horror. The Yakuza plot is just an excuse for all of these incredible gore set pieces which are in- so disgusting so good they're very so well good. done <laughs> like uh, the the tempura oil burning is so intense and uh you know the, the uh, all of the needles oh, the in the faces the hooks Ooh. the tongue uh people getting cut in half real bad uh <laughs> real bad <laughs> Good shit, good shit. Uh, a real crazy little detour in our uh, Sukumoto run through. Uh, good to see one that's like one that he's really known as an actor for, because uh, I mean, this is probably what he's best known for to most really? people. Because like this, his movies are are all cult films. You know, none of them are huge successes. This movie was a sensation. Iron Man didn't break the box office. I don't think so. I I, I feel like maybe some of the later ones because it's it's grown over time. He's maybe best known for those now, but certainly in the early aughts, this was what he was most famous for was being the main villain in this movie. I could see Gemini being a smash hit. I don't know if it was, but I could see it. I don't think it was. It's actually probably one of the most obscure. Really? Uh, I mean, it's it's weird. I mean for whatever reason, it's the one that arrow didn't put out that they just did not bother to acquire for their box. It was, it was released by a different label sometime later. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. Uh, but yeah, this one, I get why it was specifically a hit in 2001. (laughs) Oh yeah. This is so 2001. Like just that, that era from like 98 to say 2003, of just the edgiest, grossest stuff. There's so much of it, and this is one of the better ones. Like this one, obviously, has, uh, this one obviously has a lot of thought behind it. There, there's 
people considering about the nature of violence, we were thinking about what drives Ichi and that there's all this stuff about him making up or believing in this story that he was bullied and that he's doing this because he was wronged when really it's just an excuse, uh, mm. which I, I think is very true about most people who uh, are extremely violent. They like to hide behind uh, some sort of uh, sad past when a lot of the time it's like, no, you just are a very bad person. <laughs> well, that's one what? thing about Kakihara. He wouldn't make, he never made excuses for who he was. He's like, no, right. I just like killing things. Yeah. And, uh, he, or, or being killed. He he likes harm. He he really yeah. likes to cause pain and to receive pain. Uh, pain is just his whole thing. And he's sort of weirdly the most pure character. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Actually, he is exactly what he says he is. Like there's yeah. nothing personal in his violence. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's, it's what he does. It's part of who he is. It's part of his job. And it's also his hobby. Uh, and he's totally fine with getting it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And More than fine. He probably wouldn't have even gotten involved in this whole thing if it weren't for his boss that got killed. Right. It's uh, his that beloved he had this boss. relationship with. Yeah. Right. And the, the boss is the one who was the best at hurting him. So it really leaves a void in his life. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, great time. Uh, if If you have the stomach for it. Uh, it's definitely really gross. Like I I watch a lot of very gory stuff and this is the grossest thing I've seen in some time. It's definitely up there. Yeah. Uh, So be warned in that regard, but yeah, good, good shit. So of course, I mean, this is the, uh, the spooky stacks. We don't really do the replaced by, but of course uh, we will be replacing this with, uh, I think it's viral, whatever the next one is in the solid, steel nightmares or solid metal solid metal nightmares solid metal nightmares box set uh so we'll be doing the next one of those we'll probably do the next two from that next because i think one of them is like an hour long or something okay okay cool okay so do you have any last thoughts before we head on to part two we're talking about the exorcist oh yeah i was i was gonna try to do the sound like do, 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 do. I don't think that's no, it. way off. It's so far off. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, I <laughs> fucking love tubular bells. Anyway, we'll talk about that in part two. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about The Exorcist, the original from 1973, directed by... The late William Friedkin just passed this year. Legend. Oh, oh, rest in peace, R. R. I. P. Yeah, William Friedkin, uh, one of the greats, uh, a real great seventies director, uh, combative dude. You know, a real personality. Uh, made some very important films. Uh, you know, nineteen seventy one, he did The French Connection, so that really made him big before this. Oh, okay. I've been meaning to watch this. We've talked about it. We've mentioned it a few times here. Yeah, good movie. Uh, True Crime, right? Based on uh, a real case. I think at the time it was the biggest drug bust in history. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I want to say heroin. Probably a heroin bust. 
maybe Coke. I don't remember. It's been a few years since I've rewatched it. Come to think of it. No, maybe this movie is one I <laughs> watch every year. Uh, right, right. This is necessary. Uh, yeah, it's a Halloween, uh, a Halloween staple. Although I only actually watched it myself for the first time, maybe a couple of years ago. Hmm. Uh, I saw it in theaters back when they did the reissue, which I, I think I cited ninety eight last year. I think it's actually two thousand that they did it, the uh, the extended version, which I think is the version you watched as well. Yeah, time. yeah, I watched yeah. the extended director's cut, which apparently is the version to see, is what I've been hearing. I, I mean, it's the one I prefer mainly because it has the crab walk sequence or the spider walk, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Although there's an argument to be made for the original theatrical cut, which is maybe more subtle uh, in that, you know, it does not have that sequence, which is (laughs) the most terrifying moment in the movie. But it, it, it also, it doesn't have most of these subliminal Pazuzus. Oh, yeah, there's there's a few. There's quite uh, a few. There's actually a lot. I, I found I found one the first time I watched it. Or, oh, there's so and many. Then yeah. Going through, I was like, oh wow, there's there's a lot more of these, aren't there? I found like three now, and I bet there's more than that. Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of them. There's uh quite a few. I think there's maybe only one in the original version. Most of them aren't in it. Like it, it's uh, a lot of those were added for the uh, reissue. So, so it is Pazuzu then that we're seeing. I mean, uh, I think that's the idea. That's why we go back there. I mean, certainly if we take uh, the prequels as any sort of canon or the sequels, I think they all are pretty rigidly that it is Pazuzu. Okay. I, I just kind of guessed based on the statue that he saw at the beginning. I'm like, could that be Pazuzu or do I just not know my stuff? Yeah, that that is Pazuzu. So uh pazuzu is sort of the demon we're dealing with uh of course ultimately reagan will say i'm satan and like i i am the devil uh yeah but you know that that's a that's a gag <laughs> mm, it's uh well basically oh she's saying that to try to throw off the the priest who can do the exorcist to make him believe, oh, no, it's not a real demonic possession. We don't need to get exorcism involved. Right. Well, it's it's one of many things, you know, it's uh, in in all of those sequences, it's just kind of actively fighting the exorcism as a process, just like making it more difficult. Uh, So, you know, anytime looking to confirm something like, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, very cat-like. I was like, "Oh, you want to? You, you're going to let me out?" Like, yeah, I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe I have different ideas. In or out, cat. In time. In or in out. Time. In, in time. In time. <laughs> uh, Linda uh, Blair is incredible in this movie. Uh, just as a child actor, very astonishing work. Really, truly. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Basically. <laughs> So how much of the demon voice, like how much of that is actually her? Do you know? I'm like, not sure. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure I have known at some point, but uh, I don't I'm know sure if it's I've a heard... voice dubbed in. Okay. 
because uh, I know some of it, like they dub in voices from right. elsewhere in the movie. Clearly, yeah. There's yeah. that one uh, homeless person who has that really distinct rating of his line that you get I'm a couple a Catholic. times. Yeah. Uh, oh, you have some uh, arms for a for a for an old altar boy. I'm a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. Yeah, I didn't realize. Uh, I didn't notice until the second time watching that she did that voice too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, because yeah. I mean, I, I think that's the first voice she does to Father Marin, and or not Marin, uh, uh, Father Karras. Yeah, Damien, Damien yeah. Karras. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's the first voice she does to him, and at that point, he should be like, "Oh well, shit, it's a fucking real demon," because there's no other way. <laughs> I well, I encountered that day like the last time I saw my mother. Yeah, uh, I I didn't recognize it as a specific voice. I thought mm. she was just doing a funny cartoon voice. But the it's the exact time. same line too. <laughs> it is the same line, but I didn't I didn't I'm recognize it as a callback. I think that's why they got this guy who has such an extremely distinctive way of speaking. <laughs> as like the really heavy uh, sort of uh, Washingtonian DC area accent. Mm-hmm. I I caught it the second time. Yeah. Sure. How about a poor altar boy? Good shit, good shit. <laughs> but what we actually open is in Egypt. Uh, Iraq. Iraq, right, Iraq. Yeah, uh, yeah, we, we start like, dig. Yeah, we're almost in Indiana Jones territory here. It's very Indiana Jonesy. Uh, it's it's something I frequently forget about when I come back to it. It's like, oh yeah, there's this whole thing. At yeah, the we spent, archaeological like, dig before we yeah. even get to the main story. Yeah, we spend fifteen minutes here, like because when you think of the Exorcist, you think you think of a bedroom. Yeah, well, you you think of Georgetown, you think of the wind and the leaves and the stuff and the cold, whereas mm. it's blazing hot. It's in a desert at the opening, and uh, so first character we meet, of course, is Father Marin, Max von Sydow, who incredible old age makeup, by the way. That's old age makeup? Dude's like 40-something in this movie. Oh, fuck, right, because he's old now. Yeah, Not he's then. still around, Jesus. I think. <laughs> oh, no, oh, he died God. in 2020. He died in 2020. Oh. But, you know, he, yeah, he he was, uh, uh, he, he was 91 then, or 90, uh, nearly 91. So, like, he was still in stuff for a really long time. Holy shit. I just was like, I just looked at him I'm like, okay, that's Max von Sydow. He's well, yeah, old I mean, and this is right. Totally. It's, I, he's always sat as this old guy in my mind because, you know, he was this really old guy in a 1973 movie. But then you see him being that actual age. And he, it, I guess the thing is, he did grow up to look like this. <laughs> 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 this is actually how he looks as an old man. Like you, you look at pictures of him in the nineties and it's like, Oh yeah, it's the guy from the exorcist. He looks exactly the same. Cause I don't know, just really good old age makeup. Most of the time you look at it as like, well, that's not at all what they ended up looking like. <laughs> he also has a very, very powerful commanding voice, which is mm. essential in this role. Yeah. Yeah. A great voice. Uh, have you seen any of like his classic Swedish films, like the Bergmans, uh, especially, I guess, Seventh Seal? No, I haven't. That's obviously the famous movie where it's a knight playing chess with death. 
and you know it referenced in Bill and Ted. Oh, he's okay. the knight. So that's you know, that's pretty big. Oh, cool. Classic role. Uh, and yeah, I guess you know he won, so he just stayed old forever. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah um yeah so we started iraq yeah it's him at this archaeological dig where they've uncovered this or he uncovers this pazuzu idol just almost as if it's supposed to find as if it's as if it finds him yeah yeah and this uh this medallion, though they they kind of dismiss it at first because it's from a different era, it's not from the right. same. But you know, left presumably might... by a grave robber or something. Yeah, yeah. Don't have to worry about that. It's not going to come back later. No, of course not. We'll we'll definitely have to deal with that later. Uh, <laughs> so he he has. I, I mentioned earlier in the month I watched uh, Exorcist: The Beginning. Okay. Which is the prequel by Rennie Harlan. Uh, so it's all set here. Like it's all set in Iraq, maybe Egypt. I can't remember. Because they mentioned in that sequence, they said, oh, you know, he had to do this other uh, exorcism at one point, And it went on like two months and almost killed yeah, him. Yeah, nearly killed him. And That's I, I kind of... That's sort of what Exorcist the Beginning is about, except I think it's not set in the correct canonical time based on this, but it's garbage anyways. <laughs> yeah, because like here we see what looks like could be the beginning of an exorcism that he performs. Uh, he encounters uh, he encounters this idol. Uh, I think and that's... Medallion. I think that's just sort of the signal to him that it's, <clears throat> excuse me, that's sort of a signal to him that it started again. Uh, I, I think the exorcism that he did is supposed to have been years previous. Oh, like prior yeah. to this, even this opening scene. Yeah, this this is the present day. Like this is a, he, he like this excavation kind of directly leads to the other stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, there's some cool shit even in, even in this beginning part, as he's examining in the office, the clock stops at the one point. Mm-hmm. Clocks are uh, stopping all over the place in this. Yep. Oh, all over the place. I should have been watching more carefully. Well, I don't know <laughs> if you see a lot of them, but everybody talks about their watches and clocks not working and stuff. And it is a consistent issue. There, There is a few times when like electricity doesn't seem to work right. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of gets into everything. Uh, it's it's much like the clock in Amityville '92. <laughs> gets into everything with a drill. It just gets into the walls. Um, oh, one uh, something I wanted to point out about this movie is like the sound is so good. Incredible sound um, design, absolutely. Not not even just the music. Not a lot of like, music. There isn't actually a lot of music now that I think about it's it. It's quite is there? minimal, and it, and it really only uses what like two minutes of tubular bells, which, which I, as you know is a like, twenty-five minute track. Beautiful, awesome track. Yeah, like it's considered the theme of The Exorcist, but like the part that they use for The Exorcist is such a teeny tiny part of the song. It's just the opening. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's the intro. Uh, the whole song is very different, very weird. Oh. Oh yeah, it's not what you're expecting. <laughs> no, Mike Oldfield did a different single. 
that was his own version, like his own version of a single from Tubular Bells that was like a completely different section. It okay. wasn't successful. It didn't like oh. this was a huge hit. The single for the theme from The Exorcist, aka Tubular Bells, it made him a star. <laughs> I'm not surprised. He didn't like it. Oh, <laughs> he, he didn't want to be a star. I don't know. Like he, he's he's like a prog rock musician, so he didn't really ever do anything like that again. This does feel like it's got some prog rock roots. Tubular yeah, Bells, but in a good way. Like uh-huh. the uh, like the early stuff. Like the the early psychedelic stuff where you have Pink Floyd or uh, those bands involved, like uh, how Hodorowski was going to have, uh, I, I can't remember that Pink Floyd was going to do part of it, and I want to say Can we're going to do another part. Can's another great of that era doing sort of proggy stuff. They're they're German krautrock, uh, motoric stuff. Okay. But yeah, Mike Mike Oldfield. It's it's a very distinct sound, and uh, it really adds an atmosphere to this. Even though it only appears a couple times, it's so distinct. It, and it doesn't appear during scary parts. No. Uh, nothing scary is happening when the music goes. It's just it's, scene setting, and it it has a pull to it. It's eerie. Yeah, like it's distinctly before and after all the scary stuff is done. Hmm. Well, it's when uh, she's just walking back to the house and then everything goes crazy. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it feels like it's a foretelling of doom. You know, it, it, it presaging disaster. Mm-hmm. Although there, <laughs> there's one bit in the song where like the guitars kind of go like real rock and roll, like not like heavy metal. No, I know the thing. Yeah, you know the part. I mean, I'm just imagining like somebody editing that to uh, Reagan's headbanging scene in mm-hmm. the bed where she's like going up and down. And I'm like, somebody has already done this. They must have. Please. I mean, most surely, you know, there, there's got to be all sorts of parodies of this. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, this is one of the most parodied movies of all time, too. Oh. I I came to this through parodies initially, for sure. I came to it through it being like one of the biggest horror movies. Well, yeah, that, but that being like one of the few that I, well, there's many well, I haven't watched. No, but like as a kid, you saw parodies of this. That's true. I did. And I With didn't realize that's what in I was cartoons. Seeing, yeah. That's, that's how most of us were introduced to it. You know, yeah. who didn't, who, who weren't alive when it came out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, we, we weren't, we wouldn't have been. Not that old, uh, old enough. <laughs> uh, I, I was, I was, old enough to see it in theater the second time <laughs> I, I would have been old enough but i didn't do it i was great it, oh, it is, is a hell of an experience in theater uh very very intense like the, the atmosphere of this film really pulls you in oh yeah like it's it's one i've done at halloween parties but the trouble of it is like most movies you can put on a halloween party and people kind of chat and you're kind of in and out uh, this is a movie that just kind of everybody stops and watches because it just pulls you in. It's yeah. you you can't talk over it. It's it's too eerie. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a, something I've been thinking about as I've watched this movie. Why is it scary? It's like it's so well lit. Most of the scenes, there's it's not dark. I think um, it's the the authenticity of it uh part of it's the mood part of it's the way things are shot the way shots are held 
to a point that they make you feel uncomfortable, like something is going to happen or something is happening. Uh, the sound design is a big part of it. The subliminal bits, like you know, you will get Pazuzu's face appearing in places. The the uh, incredibly slow, intentional, perfectly paced buildup. Well, yeah, uh, it's it's so realistic like everything that happens feels very authentic everything that uh chris is dealing with uh in, in terms of you know the the medical professionals and the psychologists and everything it's all very realistic and step by step it's like this is what you do mm-hmm. so it, it feels so within reality that you kind of just it, it it gets under your skin because there's just these little little things that pick at the edges of reality, like particularly around uh, uh, Father Karras. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, that's something that that's. I'm glad you brought that up. That it's that it could be in reality because even the doctors mention a possible real real explanation for the possession that we just believe they're possessed so hard that they will believe in the exorcism so hard and it just kind of adds to like this whole feeling that yet it could be something that could happen in reality this could happen to you and your daughter still right because it was a true story i don't know if you know this it's based on a true story (laughs) oh uh the book was you know it, it was a very huge hit novel a couple years before and the novel was explicitly marketed as being based on a true story and it is. There's this guy, Roland Doe, who was exercised. Uh, okay. This was in the 40s. Right. Uh, but yeah, by Jesuit priests in America. Uh, and then, yeah, the this book just became a really huge hit. Mm-hmm. So it was a teenage boy. Oh, okay. Uh, and it was in Maryland rather than D.C., I guess. But, you know, same general area. And yeah, this is loosely based on that. But, you know, obviously it's updated to be extremely in the 70s. Right, right. <laughs> uh, I I do think it's interesting, like, that this is, this is a movie where the church has the answer, but it's not one where it's like the church is in your face about having the answer. The church doesn't really want to have the answer. <laughs> no, they're like, no, it's not an exorcist we we have like we have procedures in place for exorcism but yeah we the 1600s are kind of embarrassed to be still about that yeah it's like we we don't really want to do that we're we're kind of trying to put that stuff behind us we can't officially be behind this kind of thing but yeah the weird thing is that this movie is like top gun for catholics it, it was huge like th- this movie kind of created a Catholic revolution in America. That's interesting, <laughs> um, because it's it, it's it's not anti-Catholic, but it's also not anti-science. No, I, I mean it's it's weird. It's it's just that it, it's like the stuff I was saying last week in terms of uh, the the culture war and stuff. It's that it's the easier answer. It's it's the answer that has a more concrete and simple resolution. Uh, you know, all those psychological problems, all those medical problems, all that science stuff, 
one person can't do anything about that. You as a, a mom who's having a problem can't fix that problem. But if it's the devil, you can, you can have faith. Away. You can pray. It, it's 88 doctors though. <laughs> yeah. And they, they were unsuccessful uh, yeah. because un unfortunately mental problems are very difficult to deal with. Sure are. Uh, there, there aren't easy answers to the larger social ills, uh, unless you decide God is the answer to all of them. Right. Well, oh, oh, and that, right. You get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I would say, yeah, I get it. yeah in, in terms of a larger reading, one of the things I think about is that, uh, Pazuzu sort of represents Vietnam, you know? The bubbling under energy of all of that. Okay, yeah. So I, I wanted to ask you about this because you had mentioned to to watch the movie thinking about like Jackie O and all that. And yeah, yeah. I did. And then I realized it's like, oh, shit. It turns out I actually don't really know anything about her <laughs> outside of what she did during the assassination. Which... I think mean, that's pretty much all you need to know. You, oh, okay. she's, she's the mom of the nation, though, right? You know, in this period, she is the iconic... Oh. Mom. So Reagan is America, not an actual daughter that she had that I may or may the not know youth, about. The youth of America. Oh, okay. the sorry, sorry, the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I interrupted you there, and you were. Yeah, the youth of America, the unrest, the sixties, right? Right. That that would be sort of what, and then Pazuzu, of course, like I said, Vietnam, the all, all of the stuff, uh, Patty Hearst. <clears throat> Mm -hmm. the, the all, all of the activism the terrorism uh, everything going on the unrest uh and i i think of you know her as jackie o it, it, she really looks like jackie o especially at the end when she's got the gloves on and the everything oh she's got the, real, the glasses and all that yeah she she has very jackie o kind of looks she's an actress so she's kind of high society she's famous everybody is uh kind of enamored with her and of course, there's the absent father, right? <laughs> yeah. He's not dead in this, no. obviously. We're not, we're not going that explicit, but there is the absent father who's JFK. And there is that influence that's missing and there's the chaos that, uh, because of that absence. Uh, I'm just remembering the very end of uh, Earthbound and it shows the credits of all the characters. And when it gets to the father, it just the shows phone. the phone. Yeah. And that's kind of, the, that is the exact role that the dad plays here. Yeah, and then uh, he is. It doesn't play a role. Yeah, he he exists on the end of a phone. We never actually even hear his voice. There is one point where he calls the wife back in the middle of the night, so we hear her react to him. But that's it. Yeah, and he doesn't even know that this is happening. No, I mean it's it's a good time to be out of town, I guess. But I you'd think so. at some point, by the time she'd spoken to eighty-eight doctors, he might have shown up at some point. But he's just not there. That absent. Yeah, he's, he's super like, absent. He's not useful. The most absent. Right, like maybe he got shot in the fucking head or something. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, I mean, I I do think there's a lot of that there. Obviously, she's an actress, and there's that sequence where she's in this movie. Uh, oh yeah, why are they trying to? Why are they trying to bulldoze the building? 
I don't know. I don't know, but I'm snooty and you're in love with me for some reason. He's the director. He's the cool British director. Uh, I hate him. (laughs) uh, Word is he's maybe based on Polanski. Okay. Roman Polanski. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Burke. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. But yeah, the, the movie that she's in is a student unrest film, but like it's a silly, corny like nostalgic thing already yeah it's like a, like a save the community center film yeah and i can't remember what it, there's some silly name that it has and it has a really goofy logo on the on the the clapboard oh like, okay. shoot i never <laughs> oh i didn't look at that but anyway uh just you know they're they're directly pulling in that iconography of student unrest as a thing that is now in the recent past and we're now kind of codifying into entertainment. Uh, Also that they're in DC, you know, this is in Washington, DC. Right. Right. I guess, uh, I guess Georgetown is like part of DC. Yes. It's it's one of the suburbs. Okay. Okay. Uh, It's, it's like a major neighborhood uh, in, in the Northwest of it. Ah, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So after, after he, after uh, Father Marin faces off with Pazuzu, we cut to Georgetown, and right. we meet our family, uh, Regan and uh, Chris, and Regan and Chris. <laughs> Basically, yeah. There's there's Chris, there's the mom, Regan, daughter, and there's uh, Carl, who's the the German guy who uh, uh, is is the groundskeeper and his wife. The, the yeah. older lady. I can't remember her name. Uh, Sophie, I think. No, no. Sophie is the younger servant. I don't uh, know the wife's name. Sophie, the the babysitter? Yeah, yeah. The babysitter, hmm. right. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but be careful. Carl's not German. He's Swiss. No, he's Swiss. Right. The, that's the, it's Burke who, who, who has the whole thing. There's a whole bunch of extra background about him in the book, which I have read, but it's quite quite a few years ago now that's interesting we actually do get a lot of background of characters in this that we don't necessarily need but it it does add to that kind of reality to it uh that takes us out of uncanny valley and into the scary real valley i guess yeah this is an extremely realistic film in the way it uh develops all of the characters like you're in terms of getting backstory you're never getting like an info dump it's all natural the way information passes between people Mm -hmm. i also love our detective he like doesn't do anything lee j cobb love lee j cobb as kinderman uh i mean lee j cobb he's he's like a legendary hollywood actor but he mostly played bad guys so it's kind of cool to see him as just this total sweetheart uh (laughs) he was the angriest man in 12 angry men oh really yeah (laughs) he was the really angry juror the one who was kind of racist and everybody's like they they eventually have to make him see that he's racist so that he can learn a lesson (laughs) that's another one i gotta watch i've never seen that one it's pretty good there's you know different versions of it the 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 classic one by Sidney lumet is really great okay which which is the one with him of course right right (laughs) um yeah so they have a problem with uh rats in the attic but carl thinks they do not no No rats. rats 
Well, no, no. you put some traps in there. No, no rats. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, it's it's later when she's checking, and there's that amazing uh, flare of the uh, candle into like this torch, and she turns oh, around yeah. and sees him. Like, no rats. Like, <laughs> okay, I see. <laughs> don't do that, Carl. Like, don't firebend, do Carl. <laughs> yeah. Don't. <laughs> Okay, we we'll just want to that. prove no rats. Yeah, no rats. <laughs> now you see. Yeah, we we spend a bit of time with them as their with their happy lives. Uh, we see her at that rehearsal with the director Burke. Burke, who she kind of has a thing for. It's not really clear why he is. I mean, it's it, it is a I specific. Imagine... It's a type that kind of no yeah. longer is acceptable, but was the director type of the era. Just the drunken party guy who you know really will get at people yeah yeah the only the only thing we ever see him do is cause problems he likes to needle carl he Mm -hmm. because because of carl being theoretically german uh so he likes to always call him a nazi and get into fights with him because he knows he can always get a rise out of him obviously yeah and the one time we see it happen it works it sure works. <laughs> uh, after after she's walking after she's walking home from this rehearsal, this is where the first time we get the tubular bells song, right? And we just, uh, yeah, just walking through this beautiful autumn neighborhood. It's autumn right now, so that's kind of nice. Leaves mm. are blowing, yeah. And we walk by and we introduce uh, Damien, our second main character. She. Although we don't really know that that's what he's going to be. He's just saying, oh, well, I think I'm losing my faith. Right. He he is talking to Dyer, right? Yeah, Dyer, who is, uh, who is Chris's friend from, uh, I don't know, high society, I guess. Uh, well, so Father Dyer, he is, uh, he, he's just, he's another local priest. Uh, but he seems to be a priest who is really active in the community. I mean, he, the the guy who plays him is a real priest, was a real Jesuit priest. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Uh, he's also clearly gay. Oh, this character is gay. I didn't pick that up. Oh, watch for it. It's there, <laughs> especially the scene where he's playing piano and fantasizing about being like Liberace. When uh-huh. he's at their, when he he comes to their party before reading, right. he's the carpet. Yeah, see, the thing I remember about that scene is not yeah. his piano performance. No, but there, there's the whole scene where he's talking about what his vision of heaven is, and it's about him like being a nightclub impresario. Oh, right, right. But yeah, he's he's interesting. Uh, the the relationship the two of them have is really nice. We go into the, I guess it's the basement or the. Li- living room or something they're playing with a ouija board uh chris and regan well regan is just mainly playing with it and she's telling her about having played with it right she's she's yeah. ha, she, this is where we introduce the concept of captain howdy yeah which uh i kind of thought was going to be used a bit more but i'm glad it wasn't i'm glad the demon didn't become named captain howdy well no because that's just the name that's given to a child because uh, yeah. obviously we we already know that it's Pazuzu. We kind of have mm-hmm. established that. Uh, this is a child's name that it's it's given so that it can get past the defenses. 
Yeah, because I mean, if you go up to a child and be like, "Hey, kids, I'm Satan," right? I mean, like it, it only uses the Satan thing later to the priests, yeah. uh, right? Of course, to to Karis because it's just trying to mess with Karis. Uh, but it, it's it's sort of the first thing because like Regan is is very is like extremely childish. Uh-huh. especially at the beginning you know she wants a horse and like mom can't we get a horse <laughs> like we're like on vacation we're we're not we're not living at home right now we we live i i'm on location shooting for a movie we we live on the other side of the country honey <laughs> we can't buy a horse right now i don't know i i don't think washington dc is a very horse friendly place it does not seem to be i mean i it seems to be where she encountered one you probably have some uh, horse-drawn carriages and stuff in the city, uh, maybe. Well, maybe. It I seems, can see that. Yeah, it seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, maybe. I wouldn't know, but maybe. And we also... We have some. Yeah, certainly they have them here. Uh, there, there's also around here the... We, we get kind of the first rumblings of the relationship with the father and him being absent and him kind of being really absent. Oh, yeah, and her... Uh, and Chris, like, not taking it well, just like carrying out all for this po- on the phone with this poor telephone operator. Yeah, she's she's yelling at this dude in Italy because he can't get the guy on the phone. He won't. <laughs> he's some operator who who can't get the guy to answer at the hotel he's at. It's like, well, there's literally nothing this poor dude can do. Yeah, like like. Just keep ringing until he answers. It's like, what, what are you going to do if he's physically not in the room, lady? Like, you just keep ringing. But that's uh, one thing that's got to suck about the She's a movie star. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, true. That's one thing that's got to suck about the seventies, though. Is like when when you want to blow somebody's phone up, you have to involve a third party into your personal bullshit to do it. Uh, not necessarily. Party, this, I mean, oh. it, not only if it's not local. Oh yeah, okay. And I mean, really, there it's it's only because I don't think she has his direct number, mm. right? I, I don't know how it worked with because she's calling back. the fucking hotel. Just like yeah. this is the hotel I know him to be at. It's it's not like she has a phone number of a person she can call. Kind of a different situation. You, you don't have to call the operator for like a local call. I, that I, that wasn't I a didn't thing. Know. Oh yeah, that 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 was no longer a thing by i think like the 50s or 60s because it, it just got too big that makes sense i yeah i i really don't actually know how phone technology works or has evolved other than what's in my hand how did we get there That's i don't fair. know i should learn no you probably don't care uh <laughs> who, who gives a shit uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so she's yelling at this fucking poor guy. It's because it's Reagan's birthday, and he yeah. just space. He did not call. He didn't bother. It, it, this is the only time where we get him theoretically present because he calls in the middle of the night later. Yeah, yeah, she's like asleep, and yeah. Well, it it is also, I believe, um, it, I, I believe it is also the point where. Um, Regan first comes to her bed and says that her bed was shaking. Oh yeah, that's right. Cause she, she gets key. the phone call from the father and then she just turns around and Regan's in the bed with her. 
Yeah. And she says, like, oh, what are you doing in here? He says, my, I couldn't sleep. My bed was shaking, uh, which obviously it was. Yeah. Uh, it, it is treated as a lie for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's treated as a lie. She doesn't even do, like, the mom thing of checking under the bed for monsters. She's just like, no, this is a lie. I mean, she's 12 now. Yeah, but... A little old for monsters under the bed. You could still check. Maybe that's how the... Maybe that's how Pazuzu got in. She didn't check for under the bed. I, I don't know. So, uh, I, I think it's around here where we get Karis's issues with his mom, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, the issues with the mom are, like, kind of spaced out all throughout the beginning. Because it's a uh, while before... It, they don't encounter each other until after all of the stuff has gone on with his mom. So, he has to go to New York to go see his mom, initially. Yeah, yeah. She She's really sick. Uh, she's, like, alone in, in her house listening to the radio and he's taking care of her she's got like uh, a really bad leg injury like she's got a wound on her leg that is not being cared for or something he has to change yeah. the dressings and stuff uh it's a, it's on that trip that he runs into the the homeless guy on the subway so, mm. you help out a poor old boy uh yeah and there she's talking about how she does not want to have to leave her house she's like no i don't want to have to go to one of these places. this is my home i live here uh yeah uh and later it's her brother who puts her in bellevue yeah yeah the next time we see them uh she is in a hospital and it's the brother who put her there but for some reason she's Oh, no, she doesn't blame Dimitri. It's uh, the Pazuzu as her blames Dimitri. That's different. I mean, she sort of does. It's it, like she won't talk to him. You know, yeah. he comes into like, you know, we 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 cut forward. It's it's very rapid how the storyline plays out. It's very jagged. We cut mm-hmm. back to him and it's just things have moved forward quite a bit. And we we realize that time has passed and he he's brought by the brother to this mental hospital. And yeah, it's clearly crowded, like it's state funded. It is bad. It is not cheap. a nice place to be. Yeah. Uh they they don't have money. So yeah, she she is put in a really nasty place and it's creepy. You know, he goes in there with the collar and everybody is at him like zombies. One of them takes the collar. Oh yeah, yeah. And she's just like, Why you put me here, Dimi? Right. She doesn't understand. She she won't listen to him. Uh, and this is the last time he sees her because we yeah. don't see him finding out about her death. We, we, we see find out kind of like third hand. We find out through Chris finding Chris out. Chris finding yeah. out. Uh, I yeah. think it's Dyer runs into her. Uh, yeah. Or no, it's the party. It's at the party where the she astronaut. finds out. Yes. So this is another thing having an astronaut over to your house party. That seems <laughs> like something president does uh yeah that's a white yep. house party uh <laughs> well, they, they even joke about it being a white house party her yeah. and the babysitter right exactly uh so they, they have this astronaut there and she comes downstairs and she just looks dead at him and says you're gonna die up there and then pees on the floor so yep and uh party's over and- that would end the party yeah uh, this is after Burke already got into a fight with Carl over being a Nazi. 
Right. And as I mentioned, the stuff with uh, Dyer playing piano and everything and talking about his fantasies. Uh, And I I guess very important is it it is here where she learns about that. And she she asks about Karis and he's like, oh, yeah, he had a real bad knock the other day. Uh, uh, His his mother died and was alone in the apartment for some time before she was found. So she had gotten out of the hospital and was back and then was just alone there for a while. Yeah. uh, That's, that's gotta be rough finding that. I'm kind of glad we didn't have to watch him find that. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's very effective to just have the real grief of it. And the way that filters out through the community, we see him because it, it then after that goes to him grieving, like he's drunk and he's kind of passed out and, uh, Dyer helps put him to bed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about where'd you get the booze? Oh, I stole it. You shouldn't it's like, steal. It's like stealing is a sin. It's like I felt it was a lesser sin. I'm I'm helping out the person. I, I don't feel that the university professor should have it, <laughs> <laughs> or the president of the university or something. It's like I yeah. I, I feel it's it's better for him not to have it. <laughs> um. Next is actually the spinal tap. Yeah, she they they start testing her because things are not working out. Uh, yeah, that sequence uh, is maybe the most horrifying thing in the movie to me. Um, it's hard to say what what does it for me. Uh, the spinal tap is up there. The spinal tap is very upsetting. Uh, it's it's just I mean they do a very realistic version of what they do. Uh, also, there's a serial killer in this sequence. <laughs> Oh right, shoot! I forgot to look for that. But you, you told me to look out for that. One of the guy, one of the orderlies. In yeah, here, the, was it the orderly in this sequence? Uh, some years later, uh, murdered a film critic, I think. Oh and Jesus! Supposedly had killed other people. Like he claimed to have killed a bunch of. And he was gay, and it was related to the underground gay scene. Uh, and uh, Friedkin later made a movie sort of based on that. Uh, oh, Cruising okay. with uh, oh. Al Pacino. Oh, shit. All right. Cool. As, as you know, a serial killer in the gay yeah. underground in Los Angeles. I mean, not not cool, but I bet the movie's good. It's a very good movie. Uh, controversial. <laughs> mm, <laughs> very, bet. very controversial. Uh, I with bet. good reason. Uh, strange stuff. Uh, like this it's it's in your face <laughs> yeah so yeah we have the spinal tap uh the x-rays are showing that nothing is wrong with her physically apparently mm. um, uh there but of course they're still doing all the tests uh, the head banging scene happens yeah we we have test sequences yeah lo- uh, lots all, of them yeah no real point to detailing each thing we have a sequence of just all of these tests and her looking for answers and none of them coming up. They, they keep talking to different professionals and no one has any answers. And then finally they come home and it's like, shit, it's cold in the house. Where the fuck is everybody? And uh, this, one of the dudes from the crew shows up and it's her and the babysitter. And they're like, What's up? It's like, you oh, did... you, you haven't heard. 
Yeah. Burke died. Yeah, he he was right out died just outside. He had uh gone down the very long steps just outside their house. Uh oh which, yeah, this staircase. <laughs> real staircase, too. This is a famous location. Uh yeah, I think I've seen it in other things. I think they're just called the Exorcist Steps, but yeah, they <laughs> they are in Georgetown. Like it's it's a real spot. Uh and cool. Regan's window overlooks those and uh when when chris got back she went up to the room and found the window open ice cold in the room so it's like oh that's troubling and i think the babysitter mentioned something about burke going up to her room yeah yeah because because the babysitter had to go burke had come over the babysitter had to go up for something so burke decided he'd stay behind and just watch over her or something Mm -hmm. yeah so then that's that's how that happened right i mean presumably uh whatever happened was the something involved with the demonic possession and throwing him out the window we don't reveal for some time but when he was at the bottom of the steps his head was completely turned backwards which wouldn't likely happen in a fall possible (laughs) possible but not likely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, I like that, like, the scene, the exact same scene where she's finding out that uh, Burke died is also the crab walk scene. Right. So he he tells them that Burke's died, and then they're... Suddenly they on the stairs. For, yeah, they, they sit in it for, like, three seconds, mm-hmm. and then they hear a noise, and it's the fucking spider walk sequence, which is terrifying. Not in the original cut. Uh, the thing I think that makes this one so scary is that it cuts to black, but the noises keep going for a while before we go into the next scene. Yeah, they they keep her sound, the sound that Regan is making, going, and the uh-huh. mm. which is cool. <laughs> it's so good. But the, the I I I think I mentioned this last week. I totally get why and uh, Friedkin decided to take it out originally because it is a lot in in a row where it's them receiving the news of Burke's death and then immediately to the spider walk, which is just a huge jarring shift. And then there's that hilarious sequence where they get the psychologist to come in and talk to her and she just grabs him by the dick. And there's that incredible shot of, it's just like maybe steady cam or it's on a, on like a, uh, on some sort of rig because it topples over with him the camera and like yeah. it falls over with him going backwards and her just like on his dick and he's <laughs> which is hysterical and it's just the sequence of those three things is so rapid that yeah it, it is kind of whiplash it, it really is especially since up until this point the movie's been going it's slow pace really it's been taking it's been pacing itself it it is a very sudden jump with the spider walk. It, it's much more horrifying than anything we're going to get for a little while yet. So it does sort of feel out of place, but it's so good. It's just so good because <laughs> like there's like blood coming out of her mouth too. Mm-hmm. And she's uh, completely upside down. And she's making yeah. noises, and the way she moves is terrifying. Like the yeah. it is a very uncanny movement, and even though it is just performed by a person someone did that someone did oh man i think they got an acrobat in to do it 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, now it's time to meet Detective Kinderman. I love Kinderman. He, he's he's a rare, a really good cop. <laughs> <laughs> he likes uh, movies. His... He just yeah. wants. He's just looking for a buddy to go to the movies with more than he wants to solve this case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he, he thinks the case might be like uh, like a mentally disturbed priest or something, but he's not really that into it. <laughs> no, he's like, ah. You want to go to the movies with me? I get free tickets all the time through the work. Uh, but I got no one to go with. The wife doesn't like the kind of movies I like. He's like, do you like movies? I'm like, yeah. But both of these priests are fucking jokesters with him about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, I've seen it already. Well, it's a, uh, I can't remember which movie they mentioned the first time. Uh, Wuthering I, Heights, the same one, actually, both times. Oh, it's Wuthering Heights both times? I thought it was Midsummer Night's Dream the first time. Oh shoot, you might be right. Uh, and I can't. I, uh, or maybe no, it's Othello. It's totally Othello because you're right. The the name, the character names are Iago and Desdemona, but I can't remember which actors he gives. And, like I think it's Groucho Marx and someone else, and it's like, well, that doesn't exist, and that's completely absurd. Uh, <laughs> and the guy says, "I've seen it," and so uh, he, he just gives him a look, and like. Yeah. All right. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes to talk to Chris Kinderman. Yeah, Kinderman goes to talk to Chris, yeah. uh, and is basically saying, "Well, it must have been a very large man that pushed him out the window. But how could that be if it was only your daughter there?" Mm. Right, and. It seems like maybe he's vaguely suspicious of Carl because there's this history between Carl and uh, Burke being antagonistic to one another. And he, he sort of points toward that, but it's kind of a dead end. Carl just does not seem like a viable <laughs> suspect. Yeah, he spends a bit of time going, well, maybe it's, but it could be. Yeah. Like, but it could. These are all absurd. And I think it's when. It's when he's at the house. It's not the first time, but uh, maybe the second time he's at the house is when she is stabbing herself in the vagina with the crucifix. Let Jesus fuck you! Oh, my God. Uh, Very intense. That's the other scene that I would say is arguably the other most disgusting one. Yeah, that one actually, that one bothered me a lot. It's very upsetting. It's yeah. funny, when I was a kid, before I had ever seen this movie, I had heard this scene described many times as masturbating. This is non-masturbating. Not that is absolutely not what is taking place here. No, she's, there is, this is stabbing. This, this is stabbing. Is this is absolutely just an act of violence. Like, even though she's yelling about sex stuff. Uh, yeah. And as I said, it's it's this whole it is her that thing upstairs isn't my daughter uh it is the the petty hearse thing it's the youth out of control it's like i no longer recognize this person i don't know what has become of them and i have no idea how to get them back to where they were Mm -hmm. so it's right around here that the 88 doctors decide that she needs jesus yeah because they do another test, like they they do another round of tests and do, like draw blood and everything, and it's just nothing's coming. Yeah, yeah, they're like, well, this is basically our last shot—a literal hail mary. So she finally goes and seeks out Karis, 
And Karis is yeah. like, I don't know. You should go back to those doctors. <laughs> it's like the doctors said transfer me to you and you're transferring me to the doctors. I was like, look, there's so many rules to do this sort of thing. And like, there's all these different things that need to be fulfilled. And so he does the thing where he tapes her. He he tapes her speaking in tongues, but it turns out to be English played in reverse. <laughs> Which again, that's kind of haunted. Yeah, I mean, like, that doesn't disprove possession. Also, he, she does do the thing where she talks in the voice of that homeless guy. Yeah, and she knows about. Uh, most pointedly, she knows about his mom. Right. She knows Which, even that she sucks cocks in hell. I mean, she's got yeah. a lot of background information on the lady. <laughs> it's like, my mom never told me that. <laughs> I didn't know about that. Uh, oh, Timmy, I do. It's real fun <laughs> down here. Because, like, yeah, the hell retirement community. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. I it's... <laughs> so much fucking. Holy uh, shit. <laughs> I just had a mental image. Oh, oh yeah. It's like a Bosch painting, but everybody's naked. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this is where she pukes in his face. It's pretty great. Just a rocket of pea soup. <laughs> yep. I, my, my understanding is uh, uh, Friedkin told him it wasn't going to get him in the face. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, <laughs> so oh. his surprise in the moment is real. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Good shit. And so he, like, they go through the whole procedure because there is a whole procedure to get yes. church approval and all yeah. that. And he's like, I got to look up what you do. And she's like, Aren't you an expert? Man, <laughs> like, there are no experts. Right. I mean, we this didn't is... even know this was real. Well, as he says, when she's like, well, the first thing you're going to need is a time machine. Yeah. <laughs> you don't do that anymore. That's like several centuries ago. And it's like, but I, you read, you wrote this paper. He's like, that's just theory. Okay. Like I'm a, I'm a Catholic psychiatrist. And like, ultimately, even through all of it, he's never convinced that it's a demon, which is kind of surprising, but. Partly it's because he's lapsed, right? He's yeah. sort of lost his faith. Yeah, yeah. As he was like, saying to Dyer when we first met him. Yeah, like he says, like, no, I don't think it's a demon, but it does fit the criteria like this that we have laid out in this book for this ritual. Right, the Romanum, uh, the ritual Romanum. Uh, and he kind of decides as a psychologist, based on the recommendation of these 88 doctors and everything, it's like, well, maybe we can find a way for it to help. You know, yeah. maybe we can do something with this. Uh, so he kind of sets things in motion. They call Marin in because Marin has previously done this month, months long exorcism in the past. And we get the uh, it doesn't take long from the time that they decide to considering how long everything else takes in this movie from the time they decide to get Marin to the time he shows up is like the next scene. Yeah, and what an iconic arrival. Oh, man, like, it's so good. Like, the, the silhouette, him with the long coat and the briefcase and the hat against the streetlight with the fog. And the, the most iconic image in the movie. Like, there's yeah. a reason it was the original poster in every release art, basically. <laughs> it's it's so well, great. I would say maybe some of the Regan stuff is more iconic, but you can't put that on the poster. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, just that image of him in the priest's robes and the with the street light and everything and the house, it, it just captures so much uh, in, in one image. Yeah, and we are now about an hour and 45 minutes in and we have finally found met the exorcist of the exorcist. Well, we met him in the first scene, technically. Yeah. It's just yeah. now he's the real exorcist and he's there to do the exorcism. And he's very businesslike. He's like, all right, mm -hmm. I know how to do this. We're not going to get personal with this. I don't need to know anything about this lady because it's just like, everything this thing is going to throw at me is going to be lies anyway. So it doesn't matter. Oh, no, but I've identified three personalities. <laughs> there is only one. Yeah, there's just one. Uh, and Pazuzu recognizes him like he's sort of like it's sort of unclear at what point he becomes aware of it being this demon that he has previously encountered because is that sort of visible in this or is that only from no he sees it there, okay. there's a scene where like yeah. she's up and there's this smoke and like the silhouette of the Pazuzu statue is right next to her right right Oh yeah, and that that amazing shot where she's like she's broken the straps yeah. uh, that tied her and down, she's like and she's just like gesturing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that, much like another... it, well, the, in this in a very similar image to the first time we saw the Pazuzu statue with the wild dogs and stuff in mm -hmm. uh, Iraq at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So they they begin their exorcist. He's got like he's the got like power of christ compels you <laughs> the power of christ compels you man then the yelling power. that over hundreds and over and over the that like it, it is a scene that it depends on what mood i'm in sometimes it's chilling and sometimes i laugh uproariously at them just hurling the holy water and yelling <laughs> that over and over again as she just rises up to the ceiling and then slowly lowers back down she doesn't do anything else yep <laughs> she just hovers she's like okay i'm going up i'm going up oh oh, oh, oh back down yeah the whole time she's uh taunting damien she's like you killed your mother your mom <laughs> sucks dicks in hell oh damien why'd you do this to me why do you make me suck dicks in hell right there is that part where she just becomes the mom for a second and she just physically is her and she's like yeah why you do this to me that that's what makes him leave the room because he's like mm -hmm. just shouts at her like you're not my mother yeah and, and yeah baron's like you gotta step out for a second you are starting to believe this shit <laughs> you're 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 being taken in go go yeah. get some water wash the vomit off of my my cat my cassock <laughs> 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 that yeah. really great scene after she's finally lowered down and he leans down to like give some rights and he's pressing something on her forehead and like the 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 purple thing is under her and she's just like an endless stream of green goo coming out. <laughs> he like takes off his glasses and begins wiping them off. <laughs> he, he just like loosens it and just like hands it to to Damien like go go wash this please chill out I need you to cool yeah. down. Yeah, washes it in the sink, uh, comes back, and uh, Marin's dead. Yeah, Marin's just well, he's dying. Or dying. is he actually dead? No, I think he actually dies. Yeah, yeah. he's dead because he doesn't get it's it's uh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so Damien loses his shit. Right, he starts just. <laughs> it's I mean he is a boxer. We we've, we've kind of established through him 
he, he's always wearing gym shirts and we've seen him at the gym doing boxing practice and stuff he kind of looks like rocky he does look like rocky he's he's built like a cube uh <laughs> and he he just fucking jumps on her and starts pounding her <laughs> yeah yeah then, <laughs> come into me take me instead take me yeah so of course pazuzu does yeah he, he uh a, a really amazing acting in this moment where uh he lets it take him and then he fights back and he lets it take him and he sort of pulls it into him and then gathers up the energy to jump through the window himself yeah yeah it, that must have been so hard to act out it's a really good because there's a lot of effects involved too with the uh the the look of the demon kind of coming into the face and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very and, and impressive like the lighting and all that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he he goes flying through the window, or he, he dives through the window. Yeah, he crashes through. He goes all the way down the steps, and he is dying at the bottom. Uh, Dyer shows up and gives him his last rites, and. That's that's it. She's saved. Yeah, she she is saved. She's better. And we, we kind of cut, you know, some weeks later, uh, where you know they're leaving town. Uh, uh Father Dyer shows up to say goodbye. Mm-hmm. Chris says that uh Regan remembers nothing. Yeah, but Regan uh Regan gives him a hug and a kiss. Because she sees the caller and kind of mm-hmm. recognizes it as uh and an icon of what saved her yeah although she you can this is another bit of really good acting especially for a child because you can see on her face she doesn't understand why she just did that yeah she's looking at like there's something about this that uh there there this inspires a feeling in me but i'm not exactly sure why Mm -hmm. like some of the best child acting i've ever seen oh yeah linda blair is spectacular in this she's really good uh, and so Chris gives Dyer the medallion uh, from the yeah. dig. Yes, yes, but uh, Dyer gives it back. Right, because she she found it in the room and assumed it was uh, Karis's, but it was not. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't. It would have like, been... Uh, you better hang on to that. I, I've never seen that. You just hold on to that. <laughs> yeah. And then... In the director's cut, I, it's not in the uh, theatrical cut. We have this kind of nice little button with Dyer wow. uh, talking to Kinderman. This isn't in the theatrical? Nope, this is uh, only in the, the extended cut. It's it's kind of lovely. It's an echo yeah. of the earlier scene, and they do the same bit. <laughs> yeah, they do the same bit. Uh, this time it is Wuthering Heights. Wuthering the Heights. Reason- the reason why is because I was looking in the quote sh- uh, the quote section on IMDb, and oh, this yeah. quote came up twice. Oh, I so- see. Yeah, it's uh, Desdemona. Or no, no, that, that was the other one. Uh, it's Lucille Ball, and oh, I can't remember the other person. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he does the same thing. Like I've seen it, but then he <laughs> he breaks and laughs, and like it's clear, like oh, these guys will be buddies. Yeah, uh, and there is a sequel which reveals that. They did continue to be buddies. Oh, <laughs> I, I can't remember. I think it's three where it's revealed that they continue to be buds. <laughs> I, this is a really good movie. Oh, it's it's a masterpiece. It's one of the best of all time. Yeah, it's it's like legitimately scary. 
it made me feel uncomfortable watching it at times, even more so than the tongue coming off of uh, Ichi. Yeah. Or um, in Ichi. In Ichi, yeah. It's, it's a very frightening movie. It's got such an atmosphere. And like I said, there, there's a lot of resonance with uh, just the culture and everything. Obviously, it has been so copied. It's become such a touchstone. And as well, I, I do think that there's a lot to look at in terms of just the way culture has gone. Uh, mm-hmm. in, in terms of the move to the right, this is a very uh, significant piece of that, of how uh, that change happened, how how people moved back that way, the, the way the tide broke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I, actually, I lost it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just a, a masterpiece, great movie. Uh, there, There's really... Uh, I mean, it's, nothing it's, else is really like this, and everything that tries to be. Well, okay, lots of things have tried to be like this, like you say, everything's copied it, but nobody really gets it right. No, I, I guess part of it's that Friedkin isn't a horror guy. He doesn't like horror. He's not a horror director. Oh, he's he's a humanist, and his stuff is just all about real people. Like he he did a lot of true stories. He he liked to do that, and technically, this is based on a true story. Right, so yeah. it, it's got uh it, it's got just sort of a weird atmosphere where like we're doing a drama where horrifying supernatural things take place uh and and, and i feel like just most people are most of the time when you you get someone who's making a horror movie they're a horror director you, you don't get a lot of non-horror directors dipping into the genre once or twice there's Really, just like Friedkin or Kubrick. Kubrick did it a couple times. I mean, now really I want to see Wes Anderson do horror. I'd love. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I love Wes Anderson, <laughs> I but it it would be. Uh, I feel like it would be. It would have to be a horror comedy. I could see him doing a really fun horror comedy. Uh, yeah, yeah, it would have to be. I I don't know if I could see him being scary. Just the first name that came to my head. I mean, I, I'm interested in any auteur taking on horror who is not someone who's regularly involved with it, just to see the take they have on it. Uh, as long as there's someone who has some respect for it and enjoys it, I think Michael Haneke doing horror just kind of sucks because he hates it and mm. wants to make movies that he wants people to turn off. <laughs> it's like, why? Why? I don't... <laughs> why would you want to do that? He made the same one twice. Funny games. I, I, th- this is what we're totally off the topic, but funny games <laughs> is one of these movies that is very elevated by people. Cause it's Haneke. Haneke's highly respected. I think he's made good works and this is not one of them. <laughs> uh, he made it twice. He made the same movie twice. He made it once in his native language, once in English, they remade it. And yeah, it's just unpleasant. It's him doing a slasher movie, but he hates it as a general concept. So his idea was to make it unpleasant and unenjoyable. And the test is if you turn it off or leave the theater, you're a good person. It's just like, well, why even make it? You're the fucker who made it, you piece of shit. Uh, I hate those movies. They're fucking awful. This is a masterpiece. This is how you scare people. This uh, is a cultural phenomenon. This is something that got deep into uh, the soul of the culture uh, in good ways and bad ways. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I finally got around to seeing it a few years ago, and I'm glad we got to cover it. Yeah, great movie. Uh, so, do you have any last thoughts on The Exorcist before we head to our third and final section? The power of Christ compels you. The power, the power of, Christ of Christ compels you. you. It's it's the Christ oh, that, that really Christ. doesn't Christ. Uh, yeah, Christ compels you. Uh, what a what a shouter. <laughs> he really can fucking belt it out. And we're back for the third and final section. The watched stacks. The watched spooky stacks. Where we're talking spooky. about uh <laughs> where we're talking about uh all the other movies we've watched in the past week and decide what we're gonna cover next week. So uh getting really into the spooky season. I watched 17 movies in the past week. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, a couple of them are ones we've already covered on the pod, so they're not on the list. But we have 15 picks. So first, I watched Freaks, Todd Browning's classic Freaks. Ooh. Have you ever what seen Freaks? Tell me, uh, I don't think I have. I'm, I'm looking it up right now, but so is this one of those? Oh, no, no. From 32? No, I haven't yeah, seen Yeah, 1932. This. Very fundamental. Uh, mostly starring real sideshow attraction people. Okay. Uh, almost entirely like a cast, almost entirely of actual sideshow actors. Uh, director Todd Browning, really major horror guy of the early era. You showed me clips of this. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, sorry, continue. Uh, yeah, he, he was like, uh, he, he also directed Dracula, the 1931 version. So oh, the classic. Yeah, so he's kind of like one of the major early horror guys. So this was like his follow-up to Dracula. Uh, and at least he claimed to be. I, I think it's disputed whether this is actually true, but supposedly he worked in a sideshow for oh. some time. Like he was himself a sideshow attraction. Uh, he seems to be one of these people who ran away to join the circus as a kid and grew up there and then came through that to vaudeville to movies because that was a thing then. Right, you <laughs> you could bad. just do that back in the day, and that wasn't just an empty threat. Yeah, so he he got together just a whole bunch of actual sideshow people, uh, some of them very famous, some of them very like major stars. Uh, the main guy is uh, I can't remember the name of the actual actor, but it's Fritz is the character, and he is uh, he's a dwarf. And it's the story of this lady who's a horseback rider in the show who does, uh, and she's on the outs. She, she like had a romance with the muscle man. Okay. But they're on the outs. And then she's seducing the dwarf who's part of the sideshow act uh, because just being really little was enough for someone to be in the sideshow back in those days. <laughs> right. like, he was, he, like this, this, the actual dude, he was a superstar. He was like part of the original Barnum circus. He was a partner with PT Barnum. He was, Oh wow. From my understanding, fabulously wealthy, which is kind of cool. That's uh, cool. Yeah. I didn't uh, know there was that kind of money in that gig. I mean, there, there was then, I mean, he got in on the ground floor. Mm, that's what it is. 
but uh she seduces fritz because in this he is actually very rich as well so uh except in this he is still working at a circus and uh there's there's another like in reality it's his sister but she's playing what i guess is supposed to be his wife or girlfriend in this and she's sort of jealous uh but the she recognizes that the horseback lady is just taking advantage of him. Mm. So it's, it's this plot of her seducing him and taking advantage of him and obviously not respecting the rest of the freaks, the freak show. Uh, and at the wedding ceremony, they do the whole, there's it's, it's a very famous sequence where they uh, pour a bunch of champagne into a really large glass and they do a song and everybody like clanks, uh stuff on the glass and goes gaba gaba we accept you we accept you one of us hmm, that doesn't uh, sound familiar but yeah she freaks out she doesn't like it uh and they're all very offended and soon turns out that she's trying to poison him and take his money oh. so uh they take their revenge on her uh <laughs> and i mean it's it's mostly fascinating just for pretty much entirely being populated by real sideshow people of the era. Like uh, there's a dude who's only half a dude. He looks like the unproblematic upper half of James Bond. (laughs) (laughs) There's a point where he's in a tux and he's got like a, a a Luger or something is like, fucking James Bond upper half. Nice. (laughs) Um, Johnny Eck. Uh, And just, uh, you know, there's, there's so many, real performers of that nature and and it's just it's a real glimpse into uh a bygone era because like these are like genetic anomalies that kind of don't even exist anymore in 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 the major part right yeah yeah so yeah a fascinating movie uh real relic obviously uh so th- this is part of a triple bill with uh, uh two other todd browning movies that just came out from criterion so the other, the, the next one is The Unknown. Okay. From which 1927, is a, I see. Yep. So these the other two are both silent. Uh, the Unknown is a Lon Chaney film, a Lon Chaney senior, The Man of a Thousand Faces. Cool. Uh, and it's very impressive. He plays an armless knife thrower. Oh, oh, is he... Maybe that's the one I was thinking of. I sent you uh, clips from both, I believe. Yeah. Uh, this, is this the guy that has no arms and legs? He just has no arms. Oh, okay. that, that's a different dude. No, you know, that's a real dude. That ju- dude just is a torso. <laughs> uh, that's Prince Randian, I want to say. He has my favorite line in the movie because there's this. Uh, going back to Freak, sorry. Uh, there's, there's the bit where the clown is uh, giving this whole monologue to him about all this stuff that's going on. And the guy's doing a trick where he uh, lights a match and cigarette with just his mouth. Because he has no arms and legs. He's just a, he is just a torso and a head. Right, yeah, that's that's the clip that you showed me. Yeah. yeah. That's and then, so yeah, impressive. It's, it's incredibly impressive. He's just doing that while the guy's talking. And then... Instead of responding to anything that this guy has said, he just screams, I can do anything with my mouth. (laughs) 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 Woo. Nailed it. That dude apparently, that dude apparently had a bunch of kids. Really? Prince Randy. This is what I hear. Okay. Uh, Good for him. (laughs) Yeah. Good for him. (laughs) 
So the unknown, uh, he, he, Lon Chaney plays an armless knife thrower, so he does everything with his feet. Okay. Uh, and, you know, he. it turns out he's actually hiding out in the circus because he's a criminal, and he does have arms. He just has them hidden away with a girdle. Uh, oh, he has extre- he really made a bad choice going into a cr- career of crime because he has the most recognizable prints in <laughs> existence because one of his thumbs splits in two and has two thumbs, two thumb prints. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> completely unmistakable. There's no way anybody's going to be mistaken for this guy. So he has those hidden away. Now, I see. there's this girl who's part of the carnival as well who he's sweet on and she is terrified of being touched by men from some unspecified past. Well, good thing he has no arms then. It seems like it's a perfect match. And it's there's this sustainable forever too. It, oh, it, it seems like it's totally going to work. And there's this strong man, you know, big muscly guy who is also sweet on her. And he's actually like this really sweet, kind hearted dude. And he keeps coming to, uh, the armless dude for advice. And he, he's like, oh yeah, I mean, you just wrap her in those big strong arms of yours. That's what she really wants. And it's just totally, he's the worst wingman of all time. <laughs> so uh, as things, you know, th- things sort of unravel for a bit, he decides he's going to have the arms removed because things are kind of closing in on him. He doesn't want to ever get caught for these crimes. He's killed a couple people now. Uh, so he has the arms removed. And he's uh, like, oh, that's pretty extreme, I guess. But hey, he already knows how to do everything with his feet. It's pretty much how he's been living his life for some time. So it's like, eh, I can manage this way. And then, hey, I've got this girl. I've got all the money I've hidden away. And then they can't catch me. You know, they, they, you know, those those are crimes committed by a guy with arms. And I've been known to not have <laughs> arms since before that time. Hey, it's it's the perfect crime. Seems like it's the perfect crime. The thing is, meanwhile the he's left the girl alone with the strong man and he's continued to be just this really sweet guy and she's realized that she has nothing to fear from him and she's fallen in love with him and they're going to get married oh that's great (laughs) i did send you the clip of him reacting to learning that they're going to get married where he's laughing (laughs) 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 oh is he laughing and they're like he seems so pleased (laughs) (laughs) So he sets about this whole elaborate revenge plot where he's going to get the strongman's arms both pulled off by horses in front of an audience. Uh, it's wild. It's fucking crazy. One of the great silent horror films. <laughs> That's just gonna, you know, just like, okay. I'm just gonna make it look like an accident. Your arms are gonna <laughs> get pulled off here. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's very, there. there's this extremely elaborate show where he's holding together two horses that are running on treadmills and he's just going to like hit the, the sudden stop on the treadmill. So the horses actually start (laughs) running and pull his arms off. Yeah. There we go. (laughs) Uh, And then next we've got the mystic also same set. Uh, Less of a horror movie. It's a fake mystic. Oh, okay. There's this dude who's traveling through Hungary and he finds a caravan and there's this lady doing this 
very well rehearsed, very uh, sharply put together hoax mystic show where, you know, they're doing cold readings and they're, you know, doing close up magic and stuff. Okay. So he's like, this is a great act. I'm going to take you guys to the US. We're going to just bilk money out of a bunch of rich <laughs> people who are grieving. And they start doing that. And then there's this girl he likes and he gets cold feet. Uh, of course. <laughs> uh, but he's already set the scam train in motion. And the, these guys, they're like, no, we're doing this thing. We want the money. Uh, and just, you know, things ha- end up having to get derailed. Hmm. Well, I hope it works out for them. It's it's lighter than the other two. Ah, uh, okay, cool. Uh, is this next... a silent one too? Yeah, this one's from twenty five. I think I believe it's the oldest of the bunch. Okay. Uh, the less the least seen of the three for sure. Hmm. It's the only one I'd never seen before. I was pretty familiar with Freaks and the Unknown. Both fucking great movies. <laughs> uh, next, we've got Jess Franco's Oasis of the Zombies. This has come up. This is another one I think that's come up oh, yeah. multiple times. Uh, I think at least once every Halloween. Definitely. The thing is, if I've been up all night and I want to watch a horror movie, this is the movie I pick. <laughs> this is like the first one that I go to. <laughs> it's extremely liminal. It it benefits from sliding in and out of consciousness while you're watching it i feel i see it's it's uh it is one of the video nasties but it's notoriously maybe the most boring of the video nasties uh in the video nasties uh there's the i think it's volume one because we reviewed volume two or we we talked about volume two way back but they have a collection of all of the trailers of the video nasties and each of them is introduced by all the people like they all discuss each of them and most of them are like oasis of zombies is just fucking deadly boring i don't even understand why it's there (laughs) it's just like were they afraid people were gonna fall asleep and hurt themselves uh (laughs) but kim newman and myself both agree that there is just something about it there's some allure to it (laughs) because the the idea is there's this oasis in north africa it's uh, a for the the North African campaign in World War II, right? Right, right. Where there is this oasis, desert oasis, where there's all these Nazi zombies uh, who come out uh, when people try to take their shit. Because there's like all sorts of guns and tanks and just shitloads of memorabilia just sticking out of the bushes everywhere. <laughs> I feel like it's but, there to tantalize people because we're supposed to not be able to see it. But most of the time it's just like, I mean, there's just a bunch of rifles. I see it. There is a rifle sticking out of the bush. Like someone just put the end of it, like the butt of it carefully in, which is what they did. <laughs> I'm just imagining like a Christmas tree, but instead of uh, like ornaments, just like all these like Nazi armbands and medallions and like it's it's mostly guns there's some tank stuff there's like tank cannons sometimes sticking out of there i'm like i, I don't know <laughs> now i'm just picturing a a <laughs> cannon larger than the tree sticking out of the tree i mean it sometimes it sort of feels like that because there's just like these dead bushes and they're these big palm trees and it's just someone has clearly put some fucking army surplus in there 
Uh, but we we start with this lesbian couple. I think. Okay. They they come to the oasis. They're traveling through the desert, and one of them's like, "This is stupid. Why are we going? What what are we doing here? This is <laughs> totally boring." And he's like, "Come on, it's history." And he's like, "I want to get one of these guns. This is like, check out these free guns." And then, uh, the zombies very slowly stir, and we get close ups of like zombies with like worms in their eyes and stuff, and it's people with pretty bad zombie makeup that looks really fakey, but they'll have like one piece of it that's really gross maybe (laughs) (laughs) all right (laughs) and the lady scream i think i sent you the clip of them being chased by the zombies it's very incoherent there's just a bunch of things happening and then for some reason one of them gets grabbed by zombie arms from the ground but they are crossed at the wrists grabbing both of her legs right <laughs> very very weird image and she screams and uh then it cuts to the very peppy theme music <laughs> uh and yeah it's just this guy gets a message that his dad has died and his dad was involved with this place so he and his school buddies i think in france decide to travel here and search for the lost gold. Ooh, lost Nazi, Nazi gold. gold. Yeah, yeah. One thing Nazis uh, loved to... One thing they loved is their lost Nazi gold. Oh, they had caches of it all over the place. So, yeah, it's them going and they disturb the stuff and they're trying to take stuff so they get attacked by zombies. And sometimes it's clearly supposed to be nighttime because of what they're saying. They're like... <laughs> you shouldn't be out walking around in the dark and it's like blazing hot sunlight, the <laughs> desert. And like, oh. your point being, <laughs> and the, the, they'll be like running away from zombies for some, for some time. And then it's like, Oh my God, the sun's coming up. It's like the sun's coming up. The sun has <laughs> been up. There was no darkness. They didn't even do day for night. I'm just imagining now them looking up at the sky, like doing that thing where you put your hand over your eyes and yeah. you're wearing sunglasses and I'm like moon's pretty dim tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird because uh, apparently the sun makes the zombies go away, but it's not what makes the, like it isn't darkness that makes them appear. It's when people <laughs> take guns. I don't. So yeah. if you took the guns in the daylight, you should be fine, right? But they always take the guns in the daylight. It's always daylight. It's never actually night. So then, oh, I, okay. Hmm. This is what I'm saying too. It just you kind of need to be barely awake when watching it to really get the right experience of it. Because you're watching like I don't understand what's happening at any point. Because <laughs> this is so strange. Because like I've, I have so watched you- it fully awake, and it is. It simulates that as the experience of being extremely tired because, like, I uh, <laughs> what? And everything moves so slow, and it just people die, and then people forget, and then someone comes back and is like, "No, like, why weren't you here? I mean, where were you? Did you go back to town? When did these people die?" <laughs> oh man, I so- love it, but it is not a coherent film. <laughs> So, so trying to find a plot in here or thinking about it is not gonna not gonna work so good. 
I mean, it's there. It's just, it's a little dreamy and the sequence of events is really weird. And the way things happen is bizarre. Like everything that takes place is like, I don't really get anyone's motivation. There's like still all sorts of people still after Nazi gold. <laughs> Next we've got beyond dreams door. Uh, this Did is watch this one one year don't know if you've seen this one it's got kind of a david lynch energy to it um it, again it's it's dream space stuff okay i wow for some reason i was thinking is this the one with the train no no the, uh beyond the door three. Oh, okay okay uh a mock train i love that movie <laughs> that's a good movie this one it's like there's this guy, he's been having nightmares about this place, this huge, uh, empty storage space with these trap doors. And there's this demon from hell that's coming up through the doors to get him. Okay. Uh, and then it turns out it's just a real spot. It's, it's this real place. <laughs> oh, well, I think he should not go there. Yeah, I it's it's really weird because it's coming to him in dreams, but it it's sort of a dream demon type thing, but it can change shapes, it can become people, uh, it, it it it's never clear when we're in reality and when we're in dreams, and it's not totally clear whether that matters. Uh, okay, a hard one to describe because it's just this guy sort of going through these weird experiences, and sometimes he wakes up and he's like, "Okay, I, that wasn't real." Uh, <laughs> sometimes they are real and people's heads are getting bit off there's just this big rampaging demon monster <laughs> it's cool the thing is like it's a really low budget regional horror and the acting is stiff but it's it's using the stiffness of the acting in a way that i think is effective it, it, to to sort of accentuate the uncanniness of all of it just it, it it uses all of the lo-fi elements and the real locations to kind of keep that sort of mood. Cool, cool. Um, definitely considering this one. I dig it. Uh, next, we've got Amityville 1992. It's about time. <laughs> you seen this, now, right? This one, I, oh, I oh yeah, we talked about this, this in the episode. We talked earlier. about this. Yeah, the the clock. The, it's one that I don't remember very well except for the clock with the drill. <laughs> well, like the clock this... is the the enemy in the movie. It's the villain. <laughs> yeah, but, but I just remember it drilling into right. the mantelpiece. I don't remember anything else that right. beyond or before that. So they, they he gets this clock, which is from the original Amityville house, and he puts it up on his mantelpiece, and it drills into the mantelpiece, and <laughs> so it's perfectly anchored, and then it infects the rest of the house with clockwork, so it can control all space and time in the home. It's pretty cool. It's kind of cool. I, I kind of dig it. I saw this like when I was really young. I saw this on video, and it's it's always stuck with me because it's so goofy. It's so ridiculous. Both this and the previous Amityville, um, which I think is also a clock. I think it's a grandfather clock in that one. Oh, oh, a grandfather, and then this is the grandson clock. <laughs> so Carrying it's this, on its legacy. So the the guy who installs it, uh, he's the it. It's like Sudden Valley and Arrested Development. He's the guy <laughs> who 
is the developer of this tract housing. And <laughs> meanwhile, back at the model home. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the Amityville model home. Because uh, it, it becomes the Amityville model home, basically. There's that part with the old lady watching outside and like lightning flashes, and it is briefly the Amityville house. And she's like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, so there's Rusty, his kid, who's kind of goth. So everybody suspects him of everything and is just such a dick to him. He's sort of the main character. Everyone always suspects the goth kid. Yeah. And it follows him as just people suspect him. And he's the only one who's seeing the things that the clock's doing and nobody believes him. Like he keeps seeing that room be like a torture chamber in the past. And he goes to talk to the old lady and she's like, Oh yeah, it was owned by Gilles de Ray. (laughs) (laughs) I know who that is. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is a clock owned by Gilles de Ray. That's why it's so evil. I'm like, oh, well, damn. Did they Uh, have clocks in the... I mean, they definitely did not have a clock of this design. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it it starts to, you know, it it turns him into an eight-year-old. It makes the sister really horny, and she kills her boyfriend in the basement in the train set, and... Uh, <laughs> uh, there's the girlfriend who is maybe the ex and she's kind of taking care of things because a dog mauls the architect guy so he's bedridden oh no there's so much stuff going on it, it's just, it's a very chaotic ridiculous 90s movie but i truly truly love it like when i come back to amityville this is almost always the first one i put on <laughs> I do remember having a lot of fun with it at the time, even if I don't remember anything that specifically happened. That's fair. Next, we've got another one that you have seen before. Friday the 13th, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan. This one was good. This was, like, actually the first non-2009 Jason movie I had ever seen. I love it so much. Like I do understand why people don't like it. Well... No, you know, it's... I don't really understand. I, I mean, I get it that it's it's definitely sillier. It's elevated. I feel like it's kind of like... I feel like the issue is kind of a, a bit of a broken promise a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he, get, he does he get to Manhattan. Yeah. It Well, Jason takes a boat to Vancouver because it's really mostly Vancouver. Well, yeah. Uh, those alleyways are all Vancouver. Uh, you, you have like a couple <laughs> shots in Times Square, but... To be fair, they really didn't. Like, it's almost all a Vancouver movie. Because uh, <laughs> not only that, like where when they catch the boat at the start, it's so obviously the West Coast, and like <laughs> so obviously the Northern West Coast. As I mentioned, a very recognizable coastline. The the old the troubled goth teen of coastlines. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean. It, one of the things it's very 80s very neon like late 80s style in a way that jason is kind of maybe more heavily associated with the early 80s style yeah it it does seem a little out of place this is this is music video 80s yeah he he faces off against some rappers at some at one point (laughs) there's a gang but he doesn't fight them because they're, they're, they're about to come at him because he destroys their boombox and then he just shows them his face and they all run away it's cute <laughs> he does punch somebody's head off in this one doesn't he he does punch that guy's head off that's pretty fun and <laughs> i mean it just in terms of like the ludicrous 80s of it there's like 
open barrels of toxic waste in alleyways. Right? <laughs> Isn't like a big plot point at the end in the climax that like they have to get out of the sewer because every 10 minutes it gets flooded with toxic waste? Yeah, at a certain point in the evening, uh, toxic waste is flushed through the New York sewer systems. They have to get out of there. And then, you know, spoilers, but Jason gets a Mortal Kombat babality at the end. <laughs> He turns into a baby and goes into the radioactive goo in the sewer. <laughs> and that's the last we saw of Jason Voorhees. No, but really, for me, this is the end of the series, because the next one is Elseworlds. we got Jason Goes to Hell, where he's a buttworm. Oh, this is the final Jason. This. Yeah, oh, that's shit. the next thing. So for me, that is kind of the end of Jason properly. Everything else is just alternative uh but i love jason takes manhattan i truly do it's a different flavor like part of it is the kills are way different too they're more pov style like in that um you're seeing the pov of jason coming at people and you don't see the kills a lot of the time oh interesting yeah i i don't remember the kills i just remember thinking a boat is a great place for kills uh, yeah and i think they do a lot of fun stuff with it you got a crazy ralph surrogate but he's like one of the deckhands it's great oh yeah good shit i don't know like i i do get it like it's he doesn't really take manhattan but if it was just friday the 13th part eight i kind of feel like a lot more people would love it I think so, yeah. Oh, and then the New York thing could be a surprise, and then they could be like, holy yeah. shit, he goes to New York at the end? Yeah. Oh, that'd be better. It would be way better. Th then it would be like a bonus. Yeah. Rather than... A very unfulfilled <laughs> promise, to be what, fair. Like, <laughs> he's in New York for maybe 15 minutes. It's something like that. And most of it is not New York. And it's, it's like sewers uh, for most of the time, and yeah. It's just yeah yeah not even it's it's a cheat <laughs> mm -hmm. next is another one that we've covered the giant claw flying battleship <laughs> oh, Your old man. flying battleship again <laughs> oh the spiral map uh i have forgotten <laughs> so much about this movie i adore everything about it this is a, like i watched this movie so much uh, it's uh, one I've seen so many times. I love Pierre and his Applejack. Uh, <laughs> oh, our, yeah. It's a French-Canadian folk horror. La Carcania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the people were were cool. Or, yeah, like the, the, the human story was pretty interesting. I remember enjoying it. Yeah, I feel like uh, the... It, it it is really fun. It's it it's well acted. I enjoy the characters. It's pretty snappy. Uh, the the sequence of them trying and failing all of these different things. Failure, failure after failure after failure. It's it's a movie that does good montage uh, and skips over the ridiculous uh, explanations just cheerfully, like the spiral <laughs> thing, the map, and like. <laughs> Just putting all those points and like, you see it? I'll show you. And he draws a spiral. Like you could draw that line through any points. <laughs> cool. Yeah, their their whole solutions like, oh well, it must be just an antimatter field, but that's okay. When it lands, it can't do the antimatter field, so we'll just get which it is, then. Which is true, but they just don't yeah. succeed. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then Pierre no. gets gets eaten by Lacarcania. 
Oh, poor Pierre. And and there's also that part where there's those teens out hot rotting and they're like, hey, right. watch out. And it's like, that bird <laughs> gets too close. I'm going to put some salt on its tail. And then they fucking wipe out and the bird eats them. And then, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, While and, skipping the scientist completely. Well, and the, the lady scientist drives up to the wreck and picks up the salt shaker and looks at it with significance. Incredible. <laughs> it's like, ah, such a waste. Uh, next up is another one that we've covered. V. Uh, v. We covered this one actually. Not that long ago. Not that long ago. No. Yeah, a few um, months ago. Great movie. Yeah. Great movie. We got to show it to our friend, which is something I've wanted to do ever since seeing it. Because I was it's like, so oh, much fun. this is a him movie. This is a movie I'd recommend to anybody. It is such yeah. a blast. It's got such crazy energy to it. <laughs> oh, it's so out there. <laughs> So so good, so beautiful too. Incredible design, uh, the Petushko uh, design uh, and effects and everything are incredible. Uh, the The sequence of them taking off just always astonishes me. Mm-hmm. So much fun too. Yeah. Next is another one that you saw: Bloody Muscle Bodybuilder in Hell. <laughs> it's like it's Evil Dead in an apartment. It's also known as the Japanese Evil Dead. Like it was literally released under the title "The Japanese Evil Dead." Oh, okay. Well, yeah, that, that wasn't just a nickname. No, no. Uh, so, yeah, uh, <laughs> this guy. He it's it's Japan. There, it's it's very population dense. You can't get to a remote cabin all that easily. So, a guy rents an apartment. <laughs> it's haunted. It's at like the top floor of an apartment bank kind of thing. I guess so or the top of a hill yeah i don't know we don't really see we it's it's very low budget it's shot on video uh mid 90s japan and there's this dude he's a bodybuilder and he like (laughs) he's haunted but he's not all that troubled by it but he's like has friends who are like we should check this out so one (laughs) of them's a psychic he brings the psychic in and the girlfriend and uh the psychic gets thoroughly eaten by the dead uh the, i mean the hilarious like spoilers but the, he the the girlfriend becomes a deadite but ultimately he decides to just use his swollenness as a bodybuilder and he just like sucks the deadite-ness out and spits it out <laughs> there's like this whole thing where they they tell him to like use the special weapon against the deadites that you'll find in the basement and there's like eight <laughs> a shotgun. different things Right. First, they think, oh, it must be this shotgun. But of course, the camera first shows us his weight set. And yeah. ultimately, yeah, I mean, that's his weapon. <laughs> but like, they have some good fake outs because you get a shotgun. You have the knife that the original person used to do the killings before mm-hmm. they became a ghost. So that, you know, that's a ghost killing weapon. Yeah. I mean, it's all very cabin in the woodsy where they have the basement full of different artifacts where you get to choose your own adventure. But he ends up building a crossbow out of his weight set. That is such an incredible moment when he launches that uh, the the bar through the, <laughs> the mouth of the zombie. Oh, He's just like bashing people with yeah. weights. Like just it's absurdly gory, but like very fun. It's a very SOV film, but so obviously Evil Dead inspired. Mm. And with the whole weightlifting thing, it's fun. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Next up, we've got Evil Judgment, which is a Canadian giallo, a Montreal giallo. 
Oh, I don't think we've done a shallow in a while. Uh, yeah, it's been quite some time. So you, you got the gel lighting. You got a black-gloved killer with a razor blade. All the shit. Uh, but it's Canadian. There's this dude, like, a real wide variety of bad 80s Canadian mustaches. <laughs> Everybody has really thick accents. Uh, the, oh, the main... we don't know who the killer is, eh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is for real like that the whole time. The main guy, I mean, he looks like any number of my dad's friends from the 80s. <laughs> uh... I really do to Buddhists. <laughs> uh, there's the the girl who is being stalked by the killer it, she's got this shitty boyfriend named dino who's really misogynist and she's got a friend who's a prostitute and he hates the shit out of her because he has this extreme hatred of prostitutes of, of course all uh, misogynists do for right, some reason it makes him a potential like there's a lot of people that we're setting up to potentially maybe be the killer right because there's also this thing where there's in the opening we have this thing about a massive mob case has just been closed but there were issues where the judge was maybe going to be recused over mental health issues but they say we've resolved that and the you know the the judgment's going to stand and it's fine and then we see this dude looks pretty judgely breaking out of a mental hospital and slashing someone's throat. Oh, so it could be the judge. It seems like it's just going to be the judge. I mean, it's called fu- evil judgment, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's got a picture of a gavel. Oh, but if it was the judge, though, he'd be using gavel. <laughs> you, it will major complaint about this movie. No, no, no gavel. That's uh, what it's for. I, I mean, it's in the poster art, and you're like, you're gonna have an evil judge movie, evil judge slasher. Where, what are we doing? Not having the gavel at any point. It's all, <laughs> right? it's all straight razor. But, uh, so the 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 girl she breaks up with the boyfriend because he. I don't remember what they have an argument with, or what it, what it is they have an argument over. But he throws her out of his apartment naked over it. Because Jesus he's such a Christ. fucking crazy misogynist. So she's really mad at him. So she decides she's going to go with the prostitute friend on a job uh, because she also makes just no fucking money at the diner, which, by the way, Putin on the menu oh. visibly all the time is like, oh, I've seen Putin on a menu in a giallo film. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'm just thinking. Um... If we, if Canadians ever had a genre sort of thing like a spaghetti western, it would be Putin right, the, comedy. The Putin western, yeah. A Putin crime film. Uh, so she goes to this job and it's this big remote mansion and there's just this weird guy who seems to look exactly like the dude who we saw break out of the mental institution at the start. And he's very eccentric. Uh, uh, might, might be him. And she's a long time, like the friend is a long time customer of this guy. And so she totally trusts him and there's, there's no real issue. And then at some point in that night, both her friend and this guy, Ron, who owns the house, their throats get slashed. Uh Oh, and she sees the, she sees both of them die. And then she runs out and someone with black gloves comes and grabs her. And then she just wakes up in the hospital the next day. 
Okay. And the police say, yeah, you're, we, we found you with your wrist slashed. Uh, we, uh, they, we assumed it's a suicide and that there are drugs in your system. They assume that she is a prostitute and that she's a junkie. So they disregard oh. anything she says. Starts to turn out maybe it's a cover-up and the police know completely what she's involved with. It's just they want to cover up the background because it has some association with this judge. And then that maybe puts into question the cases he presided on, that being the very last one, this huge mob case. Also, Dino's oh. involved with the mob, so he's kind of uh into finding out and so he starts working with her too because you know the police aren't helping right right so they've got to solve the case on their own right and the police seem to be involved uh eventually the two people do turn up like the the people that she saw get killed uh there's they're not like nobody finds the bodies nobody goes there or anything at first and then the bodies turn up in different places uh <gasps> as suicides oh. so they're being covered up who's doing it who's involved yeah it's it's pretty good cool cool next we've got trapped alive is another regional horror all right uh this one it's a it's a snowy horror which is uh, always kind of fun uh there's, there's... evil underground <laughs> yeah everyone knows that uh there's it, it's these Two ladies who are on their way to, I think it's a Christmas party or something, maybe a New Year's party. Uh, okay. And they are passing through this area near a prison and uh, they get carjacked by three escapees. Oh. And then the, the shenanigans and they end up crashing the car into an abandoned mine in like the dead of winter. Oh, no, they're going to have to take shelter in the mine, but that's going to be a problem for them, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's no well. They they crash into the mine, so they are like in the mine. Oh, and the car like, explodes. So the car in got inside the mine. Yes, like, the car crashes into the mine. Is what oh, I'm saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's it's explosive, <laughs> and they they crash and they fall. Uh, one of the dudes is very badly mutilated in the crash, and he dies shortly after. And then they they're kind of exploring for a bit because they've fallen down and they can't get back out, uh, and. One of the dudes comes back to check on the other guy because they needed to get something out of his pocket. And he finds that he's been eaten a little bit. Someone's been mm. eating him. Uh, oh. Which is like, uh, that's troubling. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it turns out there's a cannibal miner who's living in the cave who like grabs people with mining equipment, like grabs them with pincers from above and just like pulls them up and like he's fishing for them. <laughs> <laughs> There's an incredibly silly twist near the end where it turns out somebody else has been protecting him all along and is, in, is like related to him and it just gets really <laughs> fucking crazy. Uh, at the end of the movie, the, there's like a synth country ballad over the credits called Forever Mine. Forever <laughs> <laughs> uh weird <laughs> yeah sounds like it <laughs> pretty strange uh next buried alive oh is this a sequel no uh, this is a tv movie uh by frank darabont do you know uh you you know a bunch of frank darabont uh you probably know his stephen king adaptations he did probably but shawshank 
The Mist and Green Mile. I've seen The Mist only. Oh, you never saw Shawshank Redemption? I never saw Shawshank. Wow, I'm surprised. Uh, one of those cable TV or just a general TV staples. Yeah, Not a I movie think... I own, just a movie I've seen a billion times. <laughs> yeah, I think I would just change the channel. I, I, so. I think that's what I did. It's a good movie. Very you know, classic uh, uh, performance by Morgan Freeman. Ah. And Tim Robbins. Ooh. Good. Anyway, this one, it's it's got a Stephen King kind of vibe to it. I mean, Frank Darabont did a lot of King, so clearly he kind of has a simpatico sensibility. It's also very Tales from the Crypty, you know, the oh. sort of ironic comeuppance type thing. So okay. it's about this, this dude, Tim Matheson, who is a master carpenter, and he's built this house. And moved back to the small town with his wife, who's a city girl. She doesn't like being in a small town. It's Jennifer Jason Lee. Nice, nice. Uh, always good. Uh-huh. Uh, but she hates living in this small town, and she is secretly plotting against him with uh, this guy, this doctor who she's cheating on him with, who is obviously psychotic. Uh, and he's played by William Atherton, uh, the the EPA guy in Ghostbusters. Oh, okay. Okay. The, the he has who, no dick. Yeah, he has no dick. It's that guy. And he's fucking really unhinged in this. <laughs> uh, well, you would be too. Uh, anyways. Yeah. So he he pulls, he, he extracts like some puffer fish toxin for her to poison the husband with. Uh, and she poisons him. But they really cheap out on everything on the <laughs> ceremony. Like they they don't give money to do the embalming. They uh, don't really want to, uh, you know. They fake it as a heart attack, so they there's no autopsy. Uh, he does not end up getting embalmed. They just buy the cheapest coffin available, which is rotting through. So it's it's sort of set up for him to be able to get out of it. <laughs> oh, I see. So cuz he's just secretly in a coma. Oh, they they didn't the pufferfish toxin for breathing. Well, I guess it's one of these things where he seems to be dead and uh the 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 psychotic guy, he's the doctor who comes to pronounce him dead anyway. Oh, well, I, okay. Yeah. I think he does think he's dead. I they believe he's dead, but he, Okay, fair. He, he digs himself back out and heads back to the house and him being a carpenter, he uh, turns the house into a murder maze that they're inside of, <laughs> just like locks them in the basement. They just hear carpentry for some time. They don't realize it's him because he's just wearing a mask and stuff. And right. Uh, the, then they think he's dead. That sounds that sounds interesting. It's fun. I mean, it's very much a TV movie, <laughs> but it's it's zany. It's got some it's got some good energy. Well made, good cast. <laughs> Next, we've got Arnold. Uh, the the tagline: Arnold's dead and newlywed. I I Don't sent you. Miss us. <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> I sent you the clip of the wedding where the the priest is. He 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 looks at him like, do do you, Arnold, take this woman and then like the the coffin it reveals that he's in a coffin goes i do <laughs> yeah the priest has got like this really because yeah. <laughs> oh, hmm. it's it's weird they're in it's it's an interment 
like they're they're for an interment, but then this bride shows up. Like they're there to bury him. Oh, okay. <laughs> but then this bride shows up with a bunch of people and it becomes a wedding. Uh I mean the person who's least thrilled, someone they cut away to in that is the widow. Oh yeah, she <laughs> I could see why she might be upset. Uh it's it's a very strange movie. Uh it's it's this black comedy horror where he this is Arnold, he's this corpse. He he has died, but there's a tape player, like he's got a tape deck in the side of his coffin that people just put tapes into that he's got all these pre-taped things uh for all of these different situations. <laughs> Uh, but basically, he's just killing off everyone who was in his will. Like, he, he's really taking it all with him. <laughs> <laughs> one by one. Uh, and, it, like, through, I guess, things previously set in motion, everybody's a red herring as well. This is like, oh, who's actually being his agent after death? Uh, Roddy McDowell's in it as his brother, who okay. uh, the the new bride is actually cheating on Arnold quote unquote with <laughs> oh, fuck. so okay <laughs> so he gets Poor Arnold so a suit like a new suit arrives for Arnold but uh Roddy McDowell decides to try it on because obviously Arnold is dead uh and then right. the suit just keeps shrinking and it shrinks until he explodes <laughs> that was a pretty good bit that was pretty funny uh <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It kind of leaves a bad taste in the mouth and that just like this rich corpse kind of kills everybody else so he gets to take it all with him. Like yeah. Just, that that feels like it it's pointed in a satirical sort of way that makes it kind of like yeah, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> Next we've got Raising Cain. Uh, I don't know if I've seen this or not. The name is familiar. I covered I I watched it a few months back and talked about it. Uh, forward review John Lithgow's The Clumps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was basically do I, I was doing a marital horror triple bill that night. So we did Buried Alive Arnold. Raising Cain is a Brian De Palma movie. So it's oh. heavily riffing on Hitchcock, especially Psycho. Okay. So mainly like the the Freudian Hitchcocks, so like spellbound and stuff too. Mm. Uh, John Lithgow, he is this dude who his wife cheats on him, and you know the the tagline when his wife cheated on him, he didn't just leave, he split. So <laughs> his his personality splits into like eight different people, and he plays all of them as different physical people. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> John Lithgow is like he's got this. One of his characters is like his tough brother who wears sunglasses and is really sarcastic. And you know, the the main <laughs> version of him is this retiring family guy who's very uh, who, who is a child psychologist. And there's all this weird shit about his dad being a previous child psychologist and him being an experiment. Uh, and he's trying to ch- you know, steal a bunch of kids for an experiment once he's split. <laughs> uh so it's, is it kind of like the arrested development thing where andy richter also plays his five other brothers yeah yeah it's okay. like that uh he plays I, I one of them 
it turns out is actually supposed to be a separate person later, which is kind of a fun reveal that one of them turns <laughs> out to actually be real, even though it's another guy, obviously played by John Lithgow. <laughs> fun twist. Uh, and there's there's like a couple that like aren't played by him. There's one that's like a little boy. Okay. It's very heightened. It's quite absurd and like it's it's hard to recommend because I like it it was savaged by critics. People hated this movie. Partially because the theatrical version is borderline incoherent, but I I watched the director's cut. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh which is also weird. Like the structure of it is very bizarre. You kind of see a bunch of stuff and then you go back in time and then you see a bunch of stuff from a different perspective and it it, it at times it's hard to tell where you are at and who's still alive <laughs> uh next is frankenstein the original from 31 Ooh, I, Karloff. I don't don't think i've seen this one really yeah um in classic uh one of the the first the Next one is Dracula. So the, they're the first two universal horror films. They kind of kicked off horror in cinema, uh, more or less. Uh, Boris Karloff, obviously, is the monster. Uh, I, I mean, it's it's so iconic. I mean, you know the Frankenstein <laughs> story. It's this yeah. story. It's yeah. the version that came out of this movie, even though it's not a lot like the book. Hmm. It's, it's quite a bit different. I think it's technically based on a play based on the movie or based on the book because okay there's this weird thing with them not quite being in public domain i think both dracula and frankenstein are based on stage plays based on the books okay but uh i I mean just in terms of the iconography of horror uh, villagers with torches and pitchforks uh (laughs) the the mad science lab that he builds frankenstein in the it's not (laughs) <laughs> that sequence i mean the it's all that it's it was here i i heard and i don't know if it's this movie or a different one from this era that the reason all zombies now and all frankensteins like walk towards you with their arms straight out is because in one of these original ones the actor couldn't see so that he had to have his arms out just so he could i mean feel where he was going that's basically all of them because uh, up until quite recently uh if you had an opaque white uh contact lens you couldn't see out of it oh right yeah so you, you have that and you can't see and that, that's pretty much all of these that's i mean up to the 60s okay. so it's it's not really based on any one thing and it setting a a, a template it's just people couldn't see for fucking decades when they were wearing contacts and then and then that just became the monster pose with the arms out. Yeah. Ultimately, okay. it's just what everyone does. Uh, but, sure. I mean, they were doing it up until like the seventies. I think oh, even okay. in Evil Dead, uh, the the uh, the contacts that Bruce Campbell had to wear when he was a deadite made him blind during right. that time. So it took a long time for them to get the technology right. Right. Gotcha. Uh, this one, Frankenstein. Uh, one of the things that I noticed this time watching it that was really weird is that it's credited the story uh is credited to mrs percy b shelley instead of mary shelley they they credit it to the husband which is i wonder if it's pointed i wonder if that's a gag because james whale is the director of it and he he's very satirical 
uh, he definitely had a very tongue in cheek style that is more evident as his films go on subsequent. Uh, but thematically it feels like it's very pointed because uh, the whole idea of Frankenstein is this concept of men taking away the creation of life from women. Mm. Right. Men cutting women out of the creation of life. And then <laughs> credited to mrs percy oh yeah yeah. i don't know Hmm. it's interesting (laughs) the last one is as i said dracula uh the also 1931 todd browning director of freaks uh, nice bella lugosi as dracula legendary have you seen this one uh no i haven't seen this one (laughs) oh this one is crazy Uh, again a template setting creates the cinematic vampire uh and it's weird like there's this bit at the beginning where we're we're seeing uh the environs of dracula's castle and there are other coffins and there's like little tiny coffins for animals and there's like i think it's a vampire bee (laughs) (laughs) and there's like a vampire opossum that gets into it it gets at it like it has its own coffin later he's got like armadillos wandering around in his in, in like the cobwebs of his uh castle it's weird that's I, awesome yeah like, i've I guess never it, seen the version with that yeah it's just strange it's just like i what a strange thing what are we doing <laughs> i love that yeah i i lugosi is incredible as dracula you know, uh i don't drink wine <laughs> <laughs> I could uh, have been in Frankenstein. Uh, yeah. And these movies came out like back to back. He didn't want to be in all the makeup. So Karloff comes in for that. And then he's much easier to work with than Lugosi. <laughs> right. Uh, but like the other people in uh, Dracula are also really great. It's one of my favorite Renfields, Dwight Fry. He's very creepy. And it's just, he does this thing where he just stares into the camera and laughs. And he's very fucking eerie. <laughs> nice uh and the van helsing in this is really funny like he's just got such a peppy energy to him (laughs) (laughs) uh and uh, yeah it's it's the version you know Uh, every dracula story you've heard has been based on this one which is not all that based on the original novel partially because the original novel is sort of hard to adapt because it's not a narrative it's a series of letters oh right yeah i haven't read it but i've heard that yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, I have read it and it's pretty good. And you can craft a narrative out of all of it, but uh, I mean, even that uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula of the 90s is not all that close to it. It's still closer to this. Of course it is. <laughs> so those are our 15 picks for next week. What do you figure? Oh, and man, there's a lot a couple. here. There, there's definitely thinking... a few that feel like they would pair up well yeah yeah there there's at least like three or four that would be good as double features mm-hmm. but you know what i'm gonna do is i'm thinking since i haven't seen them and they're classics and how have i not seen dracula and <laughs> it is crazy yeah i've seen them fight each other 
Oh, yeah, I mean, that is a different Dracula and Frankenstein. The, <laughs> Very different. <laughs> it is It is actually wild that you've seen Ray Dennis Steckler's Dracula versus Frankenstein, but you've never seen the original Universal Dracula or Frankenstein. <laughs> oh, I thought it was Adamson. Oh, you're right. Adamson, not Steckler. You're right. <laughs> it is wild, though. It is. You're right. Crazy. That I've seen that and not these. <laughs> well, let's correct that this week. Fair, fair. So Dracula and Frankenstein, good pick. I mean, they're both very short. I think they're mm. they're like around 70 minutes each. Yeah, yeah. So heading over to the main stacks, what do you figure for our main feature for the last week of Halloween? Uh, the last week of Halloween, but you know what? I feel like we were robbed of a Halloween oh, I agree. week, so I think... I think we could do a bonus Halloween week. I think we probably will, especially because I am going to be like literally next time we record is going to be November 1st. I think. Yeah. So there'll be Halloween stuff in the watch stacks regardless. It, it will be exclusively Halloween stuff. It will still oh, yeah, all it be would. horror. So yeah, I mean, we're basically going to necessarily do another one. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we got it. We got yeah. it. But for our first actual one that's going to land during uh, October, that we're going to be doing during October. Yeah. Um, I'm looking through here. And you mentioned Psycho, and I've been wanting to get back into Hitchcock for some time. I feel like it. it we did a whole bunch in really quick succession, and then we just kind of, kind of let it go for a bit. Didn't yeah, we? I can't remember. We did... I think we had them relatively spaced out. We did one not super long ago. Oh, no. uh, what was the last I one? I think we... Rear Window was the last Rear one. Window. And that was yeah, that's like a... maybe a few months back. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Psycho, I mean, that is an essential. <laughs> yeah, that is also another essential that I haven't seen. Mm-hmm. Like I said, basically a prerequisite for Raising Cain. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> One that I watched this week. I, I feel you'd get more out of Raising Cane having seen Psycho. And as you are getting into De Palma, it is kind of necessary to go back and see these Hitchcocks first to get more of the effect out of these De Palmas. And think about how many more Simpsons references I'm going to understand every time I see one of these. Well, the Psycho one, for sure. This is definitely uh, the oh. most copied. Most... Yeah, I mean, the Simpsons just does the famous killing scene oh yeah i mean everybody's done it uh yeah. that is the I mean, most everybody's copy. done it i mean it, it it is the it is arguably the first slasher movie you know you, you could argue that this is the very first the original slasher uh, oh true yeah uh and like you it, it's it's got a fake out at the beginning it's got all sorts of interesting stuff um and it, I, I think, loosely based on Gein. Oh yeah, that's right. I, I think, think Gein. so. Uh, because of the mom thing. Uh, yeah, I, I think it, he is. Yeah, I think he was the inspiration for this. Uh, but yeah, it should be fun. I haven't watched Psycho in a few years. It's been a while okay. since I've rewatched it. Uh, but it's good. Yeah, I've been meaning to get back to it because I do have number two and three uh sitting that i've never seen before but i've been kind oh, of right to there were out. sequels sequels in the 80s so hitchcock didn't do those no he he was dead by that time i think that's uh, maybe why they did them oh uh, but they do sir perkins 
okay. Like he actually reprised his role as Norman Bates, which is wild. Uh, So yeah, next week we will be doing some real fucking huge classics of horror. We're doing Psycho, Dracula, and Frankenstein. Oh man, I'm excited. Hype. Checking (laughs) off like three essentials off of the list. That's hype. Uh, And yeah, two 30s movies we're gonna we we don't get we don't dip into the uh early cinema as much as we uh could i mean yeah it's tough there's we there's so many so many movies we go in there more than i expected to when i started the show i'll tell you that (laughs) yeah we've had some good silence that we've covered Mm -hmm. all right so next week psycho dracula and frankenstein do you have any last thoughts yes let Jesus fuck you. <laughs> no, I don't want to go out on that. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, you know what? I get passes to the movie. Actually, you get passes. To the I get so many passes to the movies. <laughs> uh, uh, let me think. Let me think. Uh, what was I, I'm trying to remember what our first film was. Oh, yeah, it was Ichi. Uh, no, no, nothing from there I want to use, I don't think. <laughs> Uh, I mean, this is something we actually never did touch upon. Uh, it's something we were talking about at the end of last episode. Ichi the incel. He is kind of an incel character. Oh, right? he totally is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, just in, in terms of the fake bullying as an excuse to make him feel okay about the stuff that he does to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, very pointed. But again, prior to any of that, uh, uh, Takeshi Miike uh, ahead of his time yeah uh, but alright uh, thanks everyone so much for listening may the power of Christ compel you